Are you sitting quite comfortably? Then I'll begin. Hey kids, comics! Comic books. An art form early alive. We can rebuild them. We have the technology. With digital downloads and bookstore penetration, which sounds a bit rude, we can make them better than they were before. Better, stronger, faster. Hey kids, comics! And here are your hosts, Andrew and Michael Leyland. Should we do a show? Okie doke. This show. Our show. Yeah. Hello. Hello. Yeah, right. Hello. Everybody. <laughs> professional introduction yeah, yeah, yeah. to a professional show. Welcome back to Hey Kids Comics Gets It Together, which is what we're calling this week's episode. Or it could be Hey After. Kids Comics vs. The Universe. Uh, is that the title of the first one? Yes, it is. Or we could be Hey Kids Comics Finest Hour. We we're finding a pound we, on the underground. We, we don't lie to our listeners. <laughs> our finest hour is yet to happen. Yeah. Is that what you're saying? It's all down. It's, it's been downhill since we started. At least rolling downhills is fun. That's so. true. Especially if you're in a trolley. Yeah. Is it on the trolley? Do you have anything to say? I, I don't. Do you not have anything of import to say? Not of import. Anything life-related? Nothing of import? No. You have nothing to say? No. Oh, okay. I thought you were going to lay some, some juicy news. Oh, right, yeah. Um, we need cue cards like Bob Dylan, don't we? The judge has said, I'm not guilty. <laughs> the BBC have found you not guilty of punching yeah, the producer yeah. of this show. And me and the rest of One Direction uh, are happy to announce we will be continuing to host Top Gear. <laughs> Some say they're the crappiest boy band that ever existed, and that if one of them were to leave... No one would notice. I, I, I don't know. I think NSYNC have taken that, that role. What, NSYNC are the crappiest boy band that ever yeah. existed? What about New Kids? Uh, New Kids were pretty crap. I guess. Granted, I mean, I know I'm not the audience for boy bands, but I quite like the monkeys and Take That. <laughs> well, everyone likes Take That. Everybody loves Take That. Everyone loves a bit of Take That. Everyone loves a little bit of Gary diddling the taxman Barlow. E- <laughs> Even the Queen likes a bit of Gary Barlow. Even the Queen. Does she? Especially when he's rubbing jelly <laughs> all over himself. Philip! That, that nice scary ball is rubbing jelly all over himself again, Philip! Philip! I think you may be getting lucky tonight, Philip! Oh, Lizzie! Where are the blue tablets? <laughs> yep, yep. We're getting sent to the tower, dude. <laughs> Alright then, well, if, if, that, if you've got nothing to say, I will read an email from the mighty Chris Franklin. Which is all about the brave, the bold, and the ugly. Why did we not think of that title for that episode? I, I don't that know. is a much better title for the episode than we had. We are plagued by not being funny. We are plagued by hindsight being 2020. Yeah, yeah. And that first one. Yeah. Hello, Leyland. Hello, Christopher. Man, I love Brave and the Bold 200. Man, I feel like a woman. 
Even at the ripe age of eight, I appreciated what writers like Barr and Brennett had been bringing to Brave and the Bold in its last years. Don't get me wrong, I love some zany Haney, but there were some truly great stories in the pages of B&B once the rotating writers, usually with Jim O'Paro art, came on. As Cindy and I have professed many times on Supermates, plug, I don't think anyone had a hard time with the multiple Earths concept except Marv Wolfman. As a fan of the 60s Batman TV show then and now, I of course love the feel of the first part of the Brimstone tale. Most of the made-for-TV villains the dynamic duo faced on that show were not new to them. In other words, they'd fought before, much like Brimstone here. Batman punching Brimstone for no reason, which led to the head trauma, may seem rough, but you have to remember this is the same Batman who used to punch fat chemists into vats of acid and mow down nine-foot monsters with machine guns. That's actually pretty good. Mm-hmm. Sure, he cleaned up his act, but he wasn't above whacking a guy a good one just for the hell of it. The very Dick Sprang-like artwork in Chapter 1 is gorgeous. Gibbons used this style in the Earth 2 Batman's entry in Who's Who Issue 2, so we got to see him do it again. As a kid, I had a hard time reconciling that both of these characters were drawn by the same guy. This may have been my first exposure to Gibbons. I was so taken by his modern Batman, I had my mum reference the issue when she made me my homemade Batman costume for Halloween that year. I'm with Michael. I like that there was no explanation given for how Brimstone possessed Brimstone 2. Throughout the run of the DC multiverse, some writers seem to hint heavily at an odd supernatural connection between doppelgangers on the various worlds, see B&B 182 that you mentioned by Alan Brennett. It's understated, but it's often there. I myself love it. It's interesting to think what became of Earth 1's Brimstone. The poor guy was probably rotting in Arkham and the various universes merged in the crisis. Poor bloke! Mm-hmm. He just sat there like a cabbage, just watching the red skies destroy his entire <laughs> world. Poor, poor fella. Mm-hmm. I feel quite sorry for him. Wasn't his fault Batman put him in a coma, was it? <laughs> Bloody Batman. I read Hitman off the stands in my comic shop days, continues Chris. Not really my cup of tea, but I couldn't deny it was fun, if very dark. It always seemed to be better suited for Vertigo, but then Karen Berger probably didn't want anything to do with the title that launched out of Bloodlines. Have you two ever read the Robin Pulp Heroes Annual? That's a western written by Chuck Dixon. It's a fun romp with lots of nods to Eastwood spaghetti westerns. Heck, Robin even has a showdown on the cover, Poncho and all. Great episode, as always, gents. Chris. Well, thank you, Chris. I've not read Robin uh, Pulp Heroes. Have you read that? I have not. Was that one that got advertised at the back as being a, a twisted western, weird western tale, wasn't it? Not, not a Twisted Sister tale. That's just that's a different band. It is Weird Western and Twisted Sister. I don't think they got They're on. Not did to they? be confused with Twisted Transistor. No, didn't David Lee Roth leave one of them? I don't know. And quit. Could have done. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? Mark Lax has also emailed in to the show. All these good, good comics. All you good, good comics. It's all you good, good people, isn't it? Comics works just fine. Comics works just fine, yeah. Hello, Mrs. Leyland and Leyland and all the other assorted Leylands. Oh. oh, there you go. You got a hello. Leyland all sorts. <laughs> Leyland and Leyland. <laughs> That's our theme tune. Is it? Yeah. Ah, just sitting and reading good comics sounds like a good idea, continues Mark. Not that there aren't some good comics out there now, but I think you have to go through decades to find some great gems. Your talk of Doctor Strange has made me want to go and find some back issues. And of course, reading classic Spider-Man from any era is always a good thing. That story with the spiral seemed like something really freaky and makes me want to seek it out and uh, get my freak on. 
Anyway, your grab bag of comic series is a lot of fun and should give your readers inspiration to seek out not only these, but other classic reads. I enjoyed Michael's coverage of the Sandman short story. Sandman has always been one of my favourites. Neil Gaiman is a favourite writer of mine, including his novels. He's one of the comic superstars, Morrison, Moore, etc., that I feel deserves all the praise he gets. I have the book in question and plan on a reread. You guys always give me some food for thought, not food for thought which would be completely different, <laughs> and inspire me to read great comics. Thank you. Until next time, your friend Mark Lax. And Mark was on Radio KL very recently. I listened to Radio KL. It's a Superman show. Michael Bell does it. It's very good. Gabriel Jimenez has emailed in. Long time no right. Hello, Gabriel. It's always nice to hear from Gabriel. It is. It's sporadic. Yes. But when it happens, it's always good. Been a while. It's it's been a while, yeah. It's been a long time. It's been a long road. Getting from here to getting from here to to there, yeah. Yeah. Okay. That was a crap theme. It was. Hello, Leyland. Hello, Gabriel. It's been a long time. (laughs) Getting from there to here. It's been a long time since I've written in to you. It's been a long road. So read until I'm blue. No. That didn't really work, did it? Don't most teenage boys read until the blue? (laughs) No, most teenage boys just read blue stuff. (laughs) That's what it used to be, Carl. Normally it was all stuck together in the wood. What was it all about? Why were pages and pages of porn mags just stuck together in forests? I I think do old women in in gingerbread houses not leave them out till they're the men? Maybe that was just me. I don't know. Anyway, Gabriel's email. I am sorry for not writing in. I have to admit that at times I have slipped in my podcast listening, but I make up for it in binges, and I enjoy that immensely. Unfortunately, it makes for crappy feedback and rushed letter writing. There is so much I would like to get to, but given how long it's been since the episodes were heard, I don't think there's much relevance. I will touch briefly on the Batman Year Zero episodes. A friend lent me his issues, and whilst I enjoyed them at the time, your coverage of them increased my appreciation for the storyline. Kudos to Michael on all the effort he put into those shows. He did a great job. Thank you. The best shows are the one where the enthusiasm from both of you is palpable. You say how your reviews can get boring and repetitive when the issues are so good and you're all gushing, but I have no problem with that. Again, hearing your enthusiasm is infectious and encouraging. Fact is, for various reasons, I'm largely disconnected from current comic books, and I do greatly enjoy the fix I get from you guys' efforts. Anywho, the trigger for these current email is the latest episode I listened to a couple of days ago, JL Avengers Part The One. When I realised you two were covering this story, I just about crapped my pants. <laughs> That's a good job this isn't smell-o-vision. Yeah, yeah. That, that would be awful. And squealed expletives of joy. I reread these issues a couple of months ago as I was organising my comics and couldn't help but go through them again. How amazing is that art? The covers just grab you and demand your attention. I enjoyed the show greatly and I decided to not listen to the next episode until I wrote to you guys as an incentive to write. As usual, good show, Andy. You do a great job recapping some meaty issues and especially liked how enthusiastic you were as you were going through the story. Interesting how you compared this crossover to DC vs. Marvel. Actually, whilst listening to your coverage of that storyline, I kept thinking about how much better the JL Avengers one was and hoped that you would cover it. And here we are. To me, this is the ultimate in fan indulgence. This is literally comic book continuity porn. Busiek and Perez reward readers' devotion and knowledge of both both teams and their respective universes' history. I think you can enjoy it on a surface level, but just seeing these characters fight each other before their eventual team-up, but for those who have stuck with the comics for a long time, you get so much more out of it. 
I cannot wait to hear the second part of your courage and hope to write back regarding that and maybe some more shows that I will listen to. Hope you guys are well. As usual, thanks for all your episodes. Efforts! Not episodes. Excelsior, Gabriel Jimenez. Well, thank you very much, Gabriel. We appreciate that. Mm -hmm. And it's lovely to hear from you again. Thank you for emailing in. Uh, Next, from the email sack, Damien Lee is a long-time listener who hasn't emailed for a while as well. Mm -hmm. It's old home week. It is. Here at Hey Kids. Pull up a chair, buy a beer. They're on Michael. (laughs) And uh, let's sit and gas. That's what we should do. Now that I'm working on pay. Now that you're working your pay, it's about to... You have never bought me a pint. You're right. You are 19 years old and you have not bought your dad a pint. There is that. I think that that needs to change, young sir. Oh, okay. Of course you do. You'll be a man soon when you buy me a beer. In just seven days. (laughs) Morning, Leyland. Morning, Damien. Just a quick email to say thanks for the Just Good comics. We're on great stuff. Especially the coverage of MTU 6566. Classics I've read in Marvel UK Black and White. Bargain Boss Originals and Panini's lovely cap trade paperbacks. Excalibur, apparently to issue 25, then Alan Davis's 42 to 67 runners, writer and artist, are utterly, utterly brilliant. I'd love to hear you both offer your critical analyses. Going back a bit, your Avengers jail episodes were awesome too. Man Perez is never less than good. I wonder what you think of Marvel's apparent plans to use Secret Wars as a company-wide shake-up of continuity. It's only the last few years I've chilled out about continuity not being absolute, but still think Marvel's mostly continuous history is a key differential between it and DC, and it makes me sad to imagine that it will be swept away. One more day was bad enough. What do you, what do you think of Marvel's Secret Wars continuity? I'm not that bothered because I don't read that much Marvel stuff. I'm I'm kind of interested in it, but Jonathan Hickman's writing it. He's a bit hit and miss for me. To be honest, I kind of like the idea. I don't. I'm not down on the idea. Yeah. Because for me, Marvel Marvel's continuity in terms of its beginnings don't need fixing. As we have discussed, exactly, they're refining and getting rid of elements that perhaps do need fixing. But I think, from what I've seen of it, I think it's it's a good idea. They need to do it. I don't think they need. I think they may need to just refine some. All right, let's just throw something off the top of the head. What needs fixing about the Fantastic Four? I don't. No, I'm not saying it needs it because of what they've got. I'm saying it needs it because. Well, they've got the Ultimate Universe. Yeah, it just needs some cohesion. Right, but what is selling in the Ultimate Universe, like Miles Morales... And that's it. Exactly. So why is he existing on his own? It may only make sense to bring him into the regular Marvel Universe. So basically like what you're saying is the Ultimates experiment has failed, but the successes of the Ultimates bring that into 616. I wouldn't say it's failed. I'd say no one knew what to do with it in the mid-2000s, and the only thing that carried on that was worthwhile was Ultimate Spider-Man, and so now that's the only thing they've got, so why is it its own entity? No, I don't disagree with you. You'd get rid of the Ultimates for me. Yeah. I don't so think it's been any good for years. By bringing Miles Morales into the regular universe like they did to Nick Fury, mm-hmm. that makes sense. It's something that they should have done. Yeah. And I don't, dis- I don't think there's a problem with aligning certain continuity aspects. Maybe they can use secret wars to establish that Murray Jane and Peter didn't get married yeah. but the, the deal with the devil never happened. But what I've seen of it is it's got a name as well like you know Thunderdome. Is it? No it's not Two Thunderdome. It's, it's Battleworld isn't it? Yeah Battleworld. So the fact that the whole thing has its own name kind of stinks of 
it's only a story. Well, my, my only problem with it were the solicitations for that month. Every single book, it felt like... It probably wasn't every single book. Maybe not Black Widow or something. But every single book felt like just riffing on the past. Yeah. There was a Days of Future Past called Years of Future Past. Oh, yeah. And, and Future Imperfect. And, and Old Man Logo. Yes, exactly that. I said Logan. <laughs> you didn't, and it's recorded. But it was Future Imperfect and Old Man Logan. And uh, Infinity Gauntlet. Age of Ultron. Age of Ultron. Yeah, and it felt like every single book was just riffing on the past. Now, if yeah. you're doing that before you're springboarding forward, then okay... But I mean, I don't have a problem with Secret War and what its go- its intended goal is. Mm. But there is a certain element you get from certain writers that they're doing it just to f- people off. But then there's DC doing it with Convergence. Convergence, yeah, they're essentially doing. How coincidental is that that they're uh, yeah. both happening yeah. at exactly the same time? But what is that? Is that the companies giving the fans what they want, or is that the companies? looking back at what sold well and was popular and just repeating the same... I don't, I don't know. I mean, I think there is a certain element at the moment of comic books eating their own tail. Well, there's, there's something about it where do comic fans want their comics to change? Because it's happened every time there's been a reboot, people who've been for it are against it, and usually the outspoken ones are the ones who are against it. Mm. So... Do, do the majority of comic readers really want there to be a difference, or do they want to read the same stories again and again and again? Well, this is the problem that they have, isn't it? For all of the vocal minority bitching and moaning that won't change, the sales tells them something different. Yeah. So it's. I mean, I'm, I caught myself doing this recently. The the thing yours came out, didn't they? The pictures of Wonder Woman, Batman, and Superman. Yeah. And Wonder Woman, I was. I don't have a dog in the race because I don't really care. I don't mm-hmm. read Wonder Woman. I'm not really that interested. I looked at it kind of thought, it was alright. I don't know why she's got spikes on her arms, but <laughs> alright, whatever. And the Batman one, I was like, ooh, what, what are Snyder and Capullo doing with Batman? Yeah. That looks interesting. And then I saw Superman and went, don't like it. <laughs> so, and then I stopped and I, I kind of caught myself and I thought, alright, why am I instantly dismissive of the Superman change? Yeah. But with Batman, I'm like, ooh, where are they going to go with this? Well, because I noticed that a lot, like on Facebook, and seeing seeing the reactions to it, there, and I just don't understand it because change isn't always permanent. Not in comics, especially not with Superman. Superman has never been the same. People have their own Supermans, but their own Supermans aren't the same as someone else's. But he always comes back to that basic paradox. You say when Superman changed after Crisis, he was still, you know people say that that's the Superman yet he was completely different to the first Superman what the golden age yeah to the well, golden and age and he was Superman. completely different to the silver age exactly and the, the bronze age every single Superman hasn't just been a static character and in fact if, if he was if he was static like people seem to want him to be he'd be really kind of boring <laughs> he always stands for something but you can be the same core but a different shell and that's what Superman is and I just can't understand why people are always against that when all you have to do is just look a few years back and he's completely different and it's it's something that I saw doing the um, Happy Birthday Superman episodes Superman has changed so much my Superman is All-Star Superman but that's not the same as any other Superman and I'm open to that idea and I'm certainly not against him changing like all we've got now 
is content without context. We've not even seen the change yet. We've not seen it happen. We just have the content without the context. So I find it really weird how people are really against something that's not even happened yet. And all we've seen is him wearing jeans and a t-shirt, which we saw years ago when Morrison was on Action Comics. We're not seeing anything new. No. But that's, that was my point. It's like, why was I so rigid in my complete dismissal yeah. of that Superman image? Whereas with Batman, I was like, ooh, where's this story going? Because I know Batman's not going to stay dressed like a big rabbit forever. Yeah, but it's about... I think it's about the creative team on it and what they're doing with the character. Mm. People have argued that no one's known what to do with Superman for years, and that is right, because Superman's been a bit... I I don't think they've known what to do with Superman since the year 2000-ish. Yeah, because Superman's been a bit naff. He's always seen it. Well, this, this is the thing. Has the Batman creative team earned the right to completely change his appearance and have me as a reader look at that and be excited yeah. for what that creative team is going to do next because of how they've got here. Mm. Whereas with Superman, since the new 52, and we will talk about this next week right. more in depth, but since the new 52, Superman doesn't seem to have had a cohesive direction. Yeah, and a lot of it seems like Superman is just built on selling tactics new creative teams come on and they're always and new costumes and exactly. new powers and gimmicks the all the time the only selling point that these new creative teams happen is a, um, a shocking change that they're going to leave in like six issues and we'll talk about this next and week as well be a, a new shocking twist and that's just been Superman for the past uh, how yeah. many years Straczynski comes on and like for a week <laughs> Superman's popular um just creative teams come on so they're only selling Superman not by the stories but by the names of the people working on them yeah and so Superman's not had a cohesive direction yeah since I mean since the new 52 apart from Grant Morrison's 16 issues and even then you've said that Morrison's action comics isn't your favourite of his work it's not but it's at least it was a direction yeah and at least to be fair that opening arc of Action Comics was sold primarily on Grant Morrison. Yeah, not on Superman. But yeah, but I think that Morrison stuck around long enough to tell a full story that wasn't built on gimmicks. Whereas a lot of it seems to do now. I can't tell you who's working on Superman at the moment, to be honest, because the creative team on... Oh, well, I was just going to say Jeff Johns and John Jr., but that's not the yeah, case exactly. anymore. Exactly. <laughs> like, there are so many different Superman titles... And all of them have had a, um, a just a, tumultuous ride. Exactly, they've all changed creators. There's a different creator on it every other week. If I'm looking at the solicitation, it's just every solicitation comes out. It's a new creative team, and it's being sold on new creative team, new direction, new costume, new powers. It's, but it's Superman. You should be selling the character, and Superman's just become this iconic character who everyone loves, and yet no one wants to read what is being produced at the moment because it's crap. Right. As, as I'm saying it's crap because I'm... I, I'm You're not, assuming it's crap. Yeah, exactly. I, the only book I'm reading on a month of that is Superman is uh, Superman. And uh, we'll get into yeah, it. we'll get into that next week. We'll get into it next week. But <laughs> it's, it's... Yeah, what they're doing with the character is crap. There are people who could like the stories. Greg Pack but, is apparently doing yeah. decent work. But wasn't that built upon the whole um, Doomsday thing. Yeah, the retelling of Dooms. So, Superman Doomed, was it called? Yeah, so they were selling that creative team just on the 
on bringing back Doomsday. Yeah, the, the series so why. In that case, they would, again, it wasn't a shocking new development or a new power or a new costume, but it was retelling an old story. Exactly. It was once again relying on the past to tell yeah, the story yeah. instead of telling a new story. Before the Death of Superman guys did Death of Superman, Doomsday didn't exist. Yeah. They created a new character for that story. And getting back to the Batman thing, it's. Um, Snyder and Campolo have been on Batman for... 50 issues now? Just under, yeah. Like, how many years is that? Three, four? Since New 52 started, so that's yeah. three or four years now. And Snyder has been on it longer than that Yeah, well. he did the Black Mirror before that, didn't he? So I would say that they can do... They've the... earned the right to screw around with it. Exactly, because you know that by the time they leave the book... They'll put it Things back. will be back to normal for the next creative team. Mm. And then after that... So why does that paradigm work better with Batman... Done with Superman, then. Because I'm taking Snyder and Capullo as an example. Mm. In the time that they have been working on Batman, to tell the large-scale, open-ended story, that they're telling what they want to tell in their own story, that will have an ending... And DC are leaving them alone because it's exactly. selling. In the I think that's a key point. In the amount of time they've been doing that, how much has Superman changed? I, I don't... I, other than Greg Pack, has anybody done more than six issues? Yeah, how many people and Grant Morrison. worked on Superman in that time that Batman's only had one? Well, this is just Detective Comic and yeah, Batman, but I get your point. The Batman title... Just look at it as just the Batman and the Superman title. Hmm. The you flagship see? characters, yeah. Batman and Superman. Yeah. And... I, I, I forgot what it was... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sales as well. DC are just trying anything at the moment in what seems like a panic to try and make Superman sell. Whereas that's making it worse. They're not selling anything worth buying. They're trying to get sales up, but by doing it, they're just throwing out half our stories so by if, different if you, teams. If they just picked a creative team with a solid idea of 50 issues worth of back Superman yeah. stories to tell and let them tell it you think that because there's enough Superman t- titles around to let them do that mm. I don't know I just found it was interesting that I did actually I was guilty of that of yeah. what you just said I looked at that Superman image and thought Superman don't wear a t-shirt <laughs> Superman doesn't have blood dripping from his hands Superman doesn't have a crew cut and then I just caught myself and, and actually did literally what I just said to you why am I so forgiving with, Super- yeah. with Batman but when it comes to Superman, I'm like, no, that's wrong. That's not what he should be like. Yeah, I'm the guy who loves <laughs> throw wife beaters out the window, Superman. Yeah, and I think having him have blood dripping off his hands... Again, you've, we've no context for that. But image. is that not a reason? Because of, take those ideas of Superman, what you believe to be Superman. You could say that's the wrong Superman, but surely thinking that would be reason to go in and read it and not be repelled by it. Mm. Not knowing why he's like that would be reason to read it. Yeah, not knowing the context behind the story which should be intriguing enough. Yeah. Alright, okay. I did find it interesting that I did have that knee-jerk reaction. Mm. And then I started thinking about why did I have that knee-jerk reaction. I think... Everyone has an idea of what Superman should be. Yeah. Even people who don't read comics have an idea of what Superman should be. Your mum has an idea of what Superman should be. Like, what you like. I've never heard much for Superman. My Superman is All-Star Superman, and that's it, it's just a 12-issue well, miniseries. All-Star Superman is probably the, the single best yeah. story for that character of the past decade and a half. But people hold Superman a lot closer than I do. Well, that's the danger when a character becomes iconic, isn't it? Yeah. 
you, you, because you get to the point where you can't mess around with them because people will won't like that. Well, that's you can you can look at James Bond and, and Sherlock Holmes. Mm. Has the new James Bond with Daniel Craig been successful because they tore it all down and put it back together? Has yeah. the new Sherlock Holmes been successful because they've basically said, no, we're not going to do the Deerstalker mm. and set it in Victorian England. We're going to do it contemporary. Yeah. And, and I, I by stripping the iconic nature of the characters, have they essentially rebirthed them for future but, success? Yeah, but they've kept them. James Bond in the new He's one still James Bond. Bond. Sherlock Holmes is still Sherlock Holmes. There's so many similarities there for it to be them, mm. but the outer shell of it is more uh, appealing to a wider audience. Do you know what has worked, surprisingly? Yeah. Straczynski's Earth one novel. Mm. As a ground zero complete reboot of Superman, they have worked phenomenally well. Volume 3 has at least two genuinely surprising, gobsmack, jaw-drop moments that you're like, oh, but it's still, if you squint a little bit, (laughs) it's still the Superman mythos. Yeah. I don't want to say what it is because I actually want you to read it. No, okay. But there is at least two moments in Volume 3 where your jaw hits the floor that he's done that and then you've gone, oh, so you can reinvent this character for the 21st century Mm. in an interesting and new way whilst changing nothing. Yeah. Which is essentially what they did with Doctor Who. Mm -hmm. They changed everything by changing nothing. Which is a remarkable feat when you think about it. Yeah. But it's what they did. Well, with Doctor Who, though, there was never that the, that reaction that Superman's had. because but The show had been away for 16 years. Yeah, but there was an entire generation of people who hadn't grown up with as, it, didn't know what it was. As a character, there are different versions of the Doctor, but it's the same with Superman. It's just a lot more obvious when you've changed the actor. Hmm. But the, the Doctor has, has made a... Yeah, a, he, um, Not a privilege... I can't think of the word I'm looking for. He's but it's made it's made that a benefit to the show. Yeah, it's a part of his character that he changes. Yeah. Top is now floundering because of what's happened with Clarkson. Because, Doctor Who would never have that they situation. made that show. Yeah. It? If Top Gear could just regenerate Jeremy Clarkson, yeah. there wouldn't be an issue, would there? Mm-hmm. And maybe, maybe... Well, that's what Straczynski's doing that with Superman. I think Superman Earth 1 is probably the best Superman's been in ages. And this is from somebody who thought Grounded was the biggest piece <laughs> of we've ever covered. Yeah. Maybe not the biggest. <laughs> it was bad, though, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. Uh, for well, a writer of his calibre, that, that sucked. Because you could see whether or not he cared about it. Yeah, and you could see when he stopped caring about it. So that's going back to Superman. You can tell who cares about it. You can tell who cares about Batman because of the quality... Alright, of... do you think Batman is an easier character for people to care about and relate to? Even your public. There was a reason the Dark Knight films were so successful. Yeah, but I think Superman should be more like appreciated and loved by the wider audiences, by even people who don't read comics. Mm. I think if, if you take it, you know, if you look at it, do you think everybody knows him, but nobody knows about him? I, I, I don't know. Whereas with the Batman, everyone can reel off loads of stuff. Bruce Wayne, the cave, the gadgets, yeah. the car. But if you, like, stand them next to each other, you'd expect the representative of the common folk to be the more loved by a wider audience. Yeah, whereas Batman's iconoclasm... And it's just... Is yeah, this just a reflection of the cynical times in which we live? It could be, but it could also be that 
what have DC been doing with Superman and Batman? What have they done wrong with Superman? And what have Marvel been doing to get the success and popularity they've done with their movies that DC haven't done as mm. much? Because, I'll be honest with you, I think Man of Steel was a better representation of Superman than anything we've had in the comics in a long time. Yeah. Much as I may have some problems with it, I said when we watched it, didn't I, if that Superman was in the comics, Mm. the comics would be better. I mean, taking away the surface stuff about the costume, I still think the costume in the New 52's ass. (laughs) It's not grown on me. John Romita Jr. makes it look awful. Jim Lee can kind of pull it off. Jim Lee designed it, Because he designed it. The costume in Man of Steel is better than the costume in the comics. Yeah. It's not great, but but it's better. That's... uh, If we get into the costume, I think that's Jim Lee's fault. Oh, yeah, totally. Jim Lee designed a costume that Jim Lee could draw. It's full of lines and Mm. cuffs and stuff. But he's not giving any thought to other people being able to draw it. Yeah, yeah. All right, well, there you go, Damien. <laughs> that, that took us on a tangent, and he's not finished. Plus, are you watching The Flash? Yes, I am. I love it. I'm the only one that does. My whole family are loving it. I sit there with a full geekgasm here in my nine-year-old shush me so she can hear her show. DC can do something right. It was almost as cool to sit in the staff room for lunch just any mainstream people talking about how good it is. And let's face it, it's hands down better than Arrow, which is still fun. I got a text message from Dev over the road last night. Right. Did you just watch The Flash? <laughs> So, what is it about the Flash that's appealing to normal people? He said, there you go, you've got a DC property, though, that is firing on all cylinders. Yeah. It's doing all the things we've just talked about, reinvented a character for a new medium, and it's got people watching it who don't read comics and loving it. My neighbour across the road texted me, did you just see the Flash? <laughs> is it because it's fun, though? Yeah. It's fun, and it's well put together, and it's engagingly acted, and they're not embarrassed that it's a superhero film. Yeah. I think that's the key thing. But I can't understand it, though, because of how popular The Dark Knight Rises was. Forget Batman Begins. But The Dark Knight Rises was awful. And Dark Knight. People love The Dark Knight Rises. I know. Really? People, yeah. I get that they love The Dark Knight. Yeah, but I've had people in my college both of my colleges saying that they absolutely love it and I just can't comprehend it because not only is it not a good Batman film it's not a good film it's not a, yeah I mean at least Batman, I like Batman Begins a great deal yeah I like most of The Dark Knight but will concede it's a better crime thriller movie than it is Batman movie but it's still an entertaining yeah. movie but Dark Knight Rises is just it's, sloppy it's just the most bleak incoherent Badly plotted. Yeah, it's badly choreographed. It's not even engaging. No, and yet I can't understand. No, it. I'm with you on that. I don't understand the Dark Knight Rises appeal at all. We sat in the cinema just taking the piss out yeah. of it. If it's not engaging me in the cinema, it's because I'll watch anything in the cinema. Yeah, yeah. If it's failing in the cinema, it's not engaging. I'm not a big fan of the Dark Knight trilogy. And I think its biggest fault is the fact that it's called the Dark Knight trilogy. He's Batman. Mm. I get it, he's known as the Dark Knight detective, whatever, but he's Batman. I don't mind them calling it Batman the Dark Knight. Exactly. And it's a problem with the Man of Steel as well. They can't call it Superman because they're I'll scared l- it's about Superman. I'll agree, which is, I think, something they've got around with with The Flash. Yeah. They have embraced that this is a superhero show. Yeah. They've I- embraced that he wears a costume, that his villains have superpowers. Yeah, and it's. Just- and somebody in that casting room loves Spartacus. <laughs> I'm not I'm not watching it, but 
I love it. Yeah. I genuinely... When I get a new episode of The Flash, I'll get a little message on my phone from my good friend Scott Allison. <laughs> and I'll go, Flash! I but genuinely look forward to it. The bits that I have seen of it, it's engaging. And it's a superhero TV yeah. show. The films, the Batman it's and Superman films... It's a comic book TV yeah. show. But the, the Batman film and, and Superman films, they're not comic book movies. No. I mean, for all the success Batman, the Chris Nolan Batman films have, and some of it's deserved and some of it isn't, they are very definitely playing down that they are superhero movies. Yeah. And DC seem to think this is the way to go. Maybe that's its popularity, though. Maybe, With the mainstream, possibly. Yeah, maybe, like, The Flash... And its popularity and success, and the Dark Knight trilogy's popularity and success, are the two sides of the same coin. The one's one way in one direction, called reality. Ultra gritty reality. Reality, yeah. And that's its Yeah, but point. it's ultra gritty reality with a story about a guy who dresses up as a bat. Yeah. I honestly think there's only so much realism you need to introduce into that concept. Yeah. Because ultimately it does come down to, well, why does he dress up as a bat? Why does he not just fund lots of charitable resources? Why does he <laughs> not plough lots of his money into the police? Yeah. If you're going to be realistic about it. <laughs> but, see, I, lo- I liked Man of Steel much more than I like the Dark Knight movies. Mm. I know I'm in a minority, but I'm used to that. But The Flash, the fact that it embraces it's a comic book. Yeah. The only problem I have with The Flash, it's a better Spider-Man than any of the Spider-Man <laughs> films. Fair enough. That's the only problem I have with it. They've done what Spider-Man should have done. Spider-Man shouldn't be a big budget film. Yeah. It should be a weekly television series on the CW because, to me, the perfect blend of Spider-Man is crime noir, superhero, soap opera melodrama. The CW does that perfectly. Yeah, right. Spider-Man's not big in cosmic stuff. Spider-Man used to just take down crime lots yeah. and gangsters. You can do that on a TV budget. But from what I've read of Spider-Man... Spider-Man 2 is the closest. Spider-Man 2 is the closest, but Peter's still not right. Okay. They've still got Peter Parker wrong. And they made Murray Jane his Lois Lane, which is wrong. Right. Peter Parker doesn't have a Lois Lane. The closest yeah. he did was Gwen. But for the girls you know, and the soap opera fans, you've got the whole Gwen, Murray Jane, Harry Osborn, drug addict, Peter Parker stuff. Yeah. The Flash Thompson stuff. For us, for the action people, you've got the Spider-Man action stuff. You've got Peter dealing with his aunt... There's so many things you could do there in a CW-style oh, soap opera melodrama. I don't know how to make it popular, man, to get rid of that old fogey. <laughs> well, you're just mean. <laughs> uh, should we wrap up Damien's email? Thanks again for hours of free entertainment. Well, if you're bothered by the free, Damien, <laughs> we have a PayPal. <laughs> I'm off to Saudi Arabia in August, so I'm hoping I can still access you from there. Well, come September, mate, it may not be an issue. Yeah, yeah. Is, uh, is all I'm going to say on that score. But thank you for emailing in and causing such a lively debate. <laughs> Didn't expect that, did we? And I hope it all goes well for you in Saudi Arabia. Whatever it is that you're doing there, good luck with that. Uh, we'll be back uh, in a minute. Michael will put a trailer in here and then he can take over and tell us all about Scott Pilgrim. Greetings, podcast listener. Do you like... Or maybe... How about Tatsuya! Or In the year 1999, an abandoned alien battle fortress crash-landed on the planet Earth. Our most brilliant scientists and engineers spent the next 10 years reconstructing the damaged ship and studying its highly advanced space technology called Robotech. Do you remember Our Star Blazers? Or this? The year is after Colony 195. 
As the world constantly changes in the chaotic era, there are two mobile suits that could turn humans into the ultimate weapon. The Wing Zero and the Epion. Or maybe even this. After the desire for blood rules all, the only hope left is the one they call D. Or this. Gene, grappler ships dead ahead! It wouldn't be fun otherwise. Let's do it! Or... If Cardus is allowed to be reborn, she'll destroy Marmo as well as Lodos. Or have you seen the latest episode of... And just like that, everything changed. At that terrible moment, in our hearts, we knew... Home was a pen. Humanity... If you answered yes to any of these questions, then you should check out Anime Freaks, hosted by Dr. Bill Robinson and me, Gene Hendricks. Anime Freaks is a monthly podcast covering all things anime. It is available at 2TrueFreaks.com and on iTunes under 2TrueFreaks Presents Anime Freaks. Take you for a ride I'm a garbage truck Oh no I take you to the dumps Cause you're my queen Take you uptown I show you the sights you know you wanna ride I'm a garbage truck As the mansions by Drive right through The needles I my My, 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 my I got a stereo You just gotta turn the knob And baby we'll go As far as we can I'll be your garbage man I'll take out your junk And I'll crush it down Jesus in my rear view And the highway patrol is up ahead In my garbage truck, truck I'll never throw you away When you're old and gray We'll just roll it away Are we back? Allegedly, we're back. Okay. Uh, you want to go straight into it, though? Um, I guess. Volume 4. Yes. Volume 4 of Scott Pilgrim, because we're just carrying on from last Picking week. Picking straight up from last week, yeah. Yes. Um, Scott Pilgrim, Get It Together, was released on the 14th of November, 2007. And here we are, with it in our hands. That's it. <laughs> no Ooh, digital a... filth on this show. That was a bit of a... It's, it's, it's the thinnest one. Oh no, five's the thinnest one. Yeah. yeah. Um, the cover has Scott and Ramona on it. Ramona Scott's looks, very excited. Ramona looks annoyed. She's his girlfriend. Yeah. <laughs> and on the back, which I think is pretty cool, it's all 24 bit. Yeah, I love that back cover. Yeah. Who did that back cover? It does say on the inside, doesn't it? Uh, I don't know. Should I look? Should, I, should I actually do your research for you oh, in your show? Some of us have been hard at work this week. 
Yeah, pixel art Miguel Sternberg. Yeah, that wasn't that was hard, was it? There we go. Yeah. <laughs> and they're outside Sneaky D's as well. Yes, they're outside Sneaky D's. Well, I bet you didn't notice. I right. probably did not know. On these little credits pages, yes. see these long paragraphs? Yes. Here? At the end, Brian Lee O'Malley always writes bits in it. Does he? Like, in this one, I am typing this stuff myself because I don't know when to quit, ma'am. He doesn't have one in this one. Well, oh yeah. He doesn't have one in volume six, dude. Uh, That's very disappointing. It is, but it'll be one in volume five. Well, let's have a look in volume five. You know, there's eight, there's 24, whatever, bits on the back cover of that one as well. Uh, tiny recap. No. All right, no, keep going. Hold me closer, tiny recap. No. There's not one in that no, one either. No, 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 so it's just an indicia. Volume four is the well, last that one, then. sucks. Anyway, tell us what happens in Scott Pilgrim gets it together. Okay. Unless you had something else to say, and I've just interrupted. Oh, no, I don't know. Oh, all right, well, carry on. It's summer, and Scott has two months of peace without seeing any of Ramona's exes. Julie has a beach party. Nice and Kim drunkenly make out. Scott and Wallace decide they need to see their landlord. The band help Kim move in with Holly, and the heat wave becomes so unbearable that Wallace from work calls home to tell Scott to go out someplace just for the air conditioning. He hangs around in a mall and meets Lisa Miller for the first time since high school, which bodes well for Scott as he had no money to pay for lunch. <laughs> later, <laughs> later on, Nice tells Tamara that she's broken up with young Neil and that she'll always love Scott, but Tamara points out that his face has been crossed out on her Scott shrine. Confused, Nice says it wasn't her who did it. The following day, Scott and Lisa head to bank practice, but no one's there, and young Neil's a bit of a dick about it, saying he doesn't know where they are. They head to Kim's, where they find Stephen Stills hanging out with Joseph, but the two are busy making music, so they decide to head to Sneaky D's, where Kim, Julie and Holly are. Whilst they're eating, Ramona joins them, and is introduced to Lisa. The next day, Scott dreams, and in his dream, Ramona tells him that he should get a job so that he's not always asleep when she's working. Scott heads to the second cup and speaks to Stacy about a job, but changes his mind and leaves. He then heads to the video rental store, where Kim works at, and speaks to her, and she tells him that he can't work there, but the place Stephen Stills works at is hiring and he might have an in. The two walk there, and Scott is offered the position of a dishwasher. Scott is happy about his new job until he's attacked by an older man with a sword. Backed up against the wall, Kim and Scott lose all hope until Scott finds a, a subspace door handle and the two fall through the highway, coming out of another door. Kim walks away. Scott heads home where Wallace is drinking, with no pants on, with his friends, but Scott calls Ramona and the two meet up to go to Stephen Stills' place, where they are told that the drums are up at Kim's place and that they're recording now, not practicing. So they go and record, but quickly decide to give Stephen Stills a bit of room. So they go to Sneaky D's, again. Ramona and Lisa spend time talking together, and on the way back, Ramona asks Scott about her. Scott and Wallace wake up early to go see the landlord, he tells them that their lease is up soon, unless they pay for the apartment on a month-to-month -month basis, and they need to vacate the premises. When they leave the meeting, the two split up, and Scott goes to work. One million hours later, Scott, drained and tired, leaves, but is attacked by a ninja. Striking out, Scott punches the ninja in the boob. The ninja runs to Scott before disappearing, and Scott, confused, goes to Kim's and records for the album, and after trying to get through to Ramona, finds out that she's just going to stay in tonight. The following morning, Wallace talks to Scott. He asks him if he likes the apartment and how things are going with Ramona. 
He says that he should move in with her, but if he wants to stay, then Wallace will stay with her. He just wants Scott to know about his options. At work, Scott sees the elderly ninja who attacked him and Kim before looking into the restaurant and seeing something worse. The girl ninja from the other night talking to Ramona. Scott interrupts the two and Ramona tells him that the ninja, Roxanne Richter, is her fourth evil ex-boyfriend. Uh, girlfriend. <laughs> Roxanne prepares to fight and Scott, scared of her sword, climbs inside Ramona's subspace suitcase, letting her fight for him. She heads to her subspace door and Roxy follows. The two fight inside the highway but Roxy soon leaves. Whilst walking, Ramona says that Roxy is a fine artist now, with a show starting at a gallery nearby soon, was thinking of going to it. Scott says that his lease is almost up soon and has no money for a place of his own, and so Ramona says he can move in with her. They hang out at Sneaky D's again, and Lisa walks off without saying anything. Walking home, Ramona interrogates Scott over her about what they had in high school and if Scott ever wanted anything to happen between them. When Scott doesn't say exactly what she wants him to say, she walks off, leaving Scott. He walks home, but walks in on Wallace and some other guy. Wallace apologises for what he saw and tells him that someone called to say he's been fired and they should go and get a taxi and stay with Ramona for the night. Before Scott can say he can't stay with her, Wallace has already closed the door. Walking through the night on his own, he checks the contents of his pockets and sees Lisa's number that she gave him back at the mall. At 2am, at Lisa's sister's place, the two sit awkwardly on the couch and Lisa says she needs to clear some things up. When they saw each other at the mall, she was wearing revealing clothes because all her other clothes were in the wash, but because of how Scott looked at her, she dressed that way every time they hung out. They talk about house school, how they could have had a thing, but Lisa says it's in the past now, and he's Ramona. But Scott says that they had a big argument and it was over Lisa. He says she thinks they had a thing in high school, but they never did. Right? Well, maybe they should have, says Lisa. Maybe they should. Scott dreams of running through a forest with visions of Ramona, but is attacked by a Roxy. He wakes up on Lisa's couch with her sitting on the edge of it. He asks her if they did anything that night, and she says that he babbled on about how much he loved Ramona, and then she started crying, so he tries to cheer her up and they ordered pizza. She tells him that he can tell Ramona with all honesty that nothing ever or will ever happen between the two of them, and so Scott gets up and heads out. He heads to Stephen's restaurant and begs for his job back, which he gets given, before heading to the second cup and finding Knives working there. As he turns to leave, he sees the elderly ninja walk past. Knives says it's her dad, powered by vengeance after learning his daughter dated a white boy. He sees Scott and attacks. But Scott heads to a subspace door, but sees something worse than Knife's dad. He sees Ramona in the subspace highway, dressed in a baggy t-shirt, stockings and heels, on her knees on the floor to the side of a man covered in shadows. She sees him and angrily throws him through a window and out of the highway. She storms out of her house towards him. As he explains himself, she calms down and apologises for the way she acted the other night. Scott says that he spent that night at Lisa's, but nothing happened. Ramona takes him in sits down. She asks him if she loves her, which he finds silly and says no to, but he sees Roxy come down the stairs behind Ramona, asking if they've broken up yet. When Scott asks what Roxy was doing staying over at Ramona's place, she tells him to just walk it off and closes the door on him. Saddened, Scott walks all over the place before coming face to face with Nega Scott. He punches Nega Scott before seeing Ramona being thrown through her door by Knives' dad. 
Scott confronts him before running past him inside Ramona's house and upstairs, and then Roxy attack him thinking Gideon sent him to help her. Scott says he doesn't hit girls and Roxy calls him a pussy. That's the third person in this book who's called Scott a pussy, so he asks Ramona if he is one, but he says he could be less of one. <laughs> Scott takes a deep breath and strides to Ramona, grabs her by the shoulder and tells her that he loves her. Earning the power of love, Scott pulls out a flaming sword out of his chest and jumps down into the backyard. He and Roxy face each other before running and jumping past each other. She cuts his face but he got her good, she sees, but he'll never defeat the twins. Then she explodes into bunnies. Then Scott turns to Nice Dad and says that he never disrespected his daughter, but turns to see that he's no longer standing there and is instead stood on a rooftop. He nods at Scott before disappearing again. Ramona apologises for Roxy staying over. She slept on the couch and they didn't even make out that much. But Scott doesn't care. He loves her, and she thinks she loves him too. The rest of the band helps Scott move into Ramona's, but the lame poster doesn't make the cut. Instead, Scott says Kim can have it. Scott and Wallace stand in their empty apartment. Scott says he's happy about moving on. And Wallace says that that's a good thing. He signed a lease with a new place with him and Mobile over a week ago, and if Scott didn't want to move, he'd be screwed. They all go out for a meal to celebrate Lisa moving to California to pursue her acting career, and later that night, Scott and Ramona sit on a park bench, watching the lights of Toronto below them, wishing that this moment would last forever. Looks like your synopsis! <laughs> Legend. Exactly, yeah. Is what it is. Uh, there's a couple of things I like about this book. Ramona, did you say last week she was named after the Frank Black song? Yeah. Not the real Ramona by Throw of Muses. Yeah. Which would have pleased me, because I like the Throw of Muses <laughs> quite a bit. I love 
the general the boot begins with your handy guide to the potential confusing world of Scott Pilgrim and introduces all the characters and Wallace Wells is gay <laughs> following on from last week <laughs> it never gets boring it doesn't because it is a wonderful pastiche of how that's a defining characteristic apparently of bad writers yeah is gay I don't have the need to introduce you as it's heterosexual do I so I love that he's carried on doing that joke. I love as well, uh, just on a, um, a level of the boot. You open it at the back like a proper manga, yeah. and it tells you, "What do you think you're doing? This is the back of the book. Go <laughs> the other way." Yeah, which I thought was quite funny because mm-hmm. mangas are now all formatted yeah. in the the Western style, isn't it? Instead of in the way they do. But so that was good. It starts in colour. It does on different uh, paper stock as well. Yeah, and it, it runs in colour for what? eight or so pages yeah just like manga does is this all in colour just because it's summer it could be but um yeah and manga opens in colour also the opening the the title sequence is a reference to Sonic and Knuckles oh is that why they've got such big eyes yeah right I actually get that one and the wings or is it Sonic and Tails I don't know it could be Sonic and Tails could be but uh, only them two didn't kiss Unless it's shipping fanfiction. Unless it's... Do you think there's shipping fanfiction about Sonic the Hedgehog? I know there is. Oh, right. <laughs> I, will, uh, I will defer to you, though. Yeah. I was not aware of that. Yeah, I wish I was. wasn't. Okay. Um, again, we've got to point out Sex Bob Omb's song that they're singing on the beach. This is so excruciating, I'm sick of all your hating. Yeah. A nice child drinking, and Julie says should they even be letting her drink. Which is a lovely bit. I love the... Stephen, most of your songs just bore me to tears. But the song is about me, people. He thinks I'm a total bitch and a half. And then Kim Pine's like, You mean she doesn't know? Ramona <laughs> says, You mean she doesn't know? Alright, but Kim has a moment where yeah, she's yeah. like, You mean you don't know that it's about you? And then Ramona, not Ramona, sorry, Knives is the one that's read into the song. Well, the narrator is sad and hurt, see? You're missing the tenderness of the song. Well, the girl thinks it's all about her. Don't you get it? It's brilliant! (laughs) Which it actually is, because Julie thinks it's all about her. Yeah, so it's actually quite good. Yeah. In the way that it is is struck. Why is Knives Chow and Kim Pine making out? They never say that. They never. They mention never mention that yeah, again. Yeah, yeah. And let, let us never speak of this again. It says. I love it. Scott sees them, goes back downstairs, and somebody says, "Did you find them?" <laughs> and Scott says, "No, they must have left." I like because of that scene though. Um, Scott confuses the L word for lesbians and <laughs> gives at the end gives Kim his poster of the two girls kissing. Yes, which she rips up. Yeah. So that was quite nice and. Uh, and I like as well that at the beginning the start seeding the relationship between Scott, Ramona and Kim. Mm. Because, like, Ramona's the only girl who stayed in Scott's life and they've had, like, a friendship with. And Kim? Yeah. Sorry. And when Ramona starts being hostile towards Lisa Miller because of that, she's accepting of Kim's relationship with Scott and wasn't with Lisa's relationship. Yeah, well, she doesn't... She always seems to quite like Kim, Pine. Mm. Which is fair enough. I like Kim. Jason, well, the one who owns a car. I know someone that owns a car. <laughs> Scott's just clueless, isn't he? I, I, I love as well. What's he called, Jason Kim? Jason Kim? You said that last time you met him. So if Kim went out with Jason, she'd be Kim Kim. Kim Kim. Which would be most unfortunate mm-hmm. in many ways. This one's... I, I love the conversation about how old Ramona is. 
He doesn't know, does he? Yeah. I can never tell with women. And then he's like, you could just ask, so how old are you? I'm not telling you. Yeah. This one's very much a transitory issue, isn't it? What issue? Novel. Where we're essentially taking Ramona and Scott's relationship on a bit, whilst both of them actually acknowledging that they don't know if they're really actually ready to move on a bit. Yeah. But it's quite clear that they are. They, well, this is where everything starts to change. Yeah. This is the the part of the story where they're all growing up a bit. Yeah. The whole story, all six volumes, take place over one year, and essentially it is them stopping being kids and becoming adults. Which is him stays in the last volume. Yeah, they, they actually get jobs and, and all that stuff. Life stops just being a lark at this point. Which will happen to you, and it's a real shame when it happens. No, I'm not looking forward to it. Well, don't. Put it <laughs> off as long as possible would be my advice. I love the gamey stuff. Yeah. Like, he's got a bar saying thirst, which is quite high, yeah. quite full. And then he's got a bar saying cash, which <laughs> is completely empty. They did it earlier on, didn't they, where he has a pee meter. Yeah. And when he takes a pee, and when it, he goes takes a pee it goes down. I, I love that, too. And uh, who's this? Lisa Miller. So Lisa There's Miller. a flashback to the flashback in volume two. Oh, so there is. Yeah. See, because you've made me wait a week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've, uh... It's all slipped my mind at this point. I, I, I love... Oh, it's not that bit, is it? It's Which later bit? on. So what are you doing? I'm making ice-cold margaritas. I don't drink, pussy. <laughs> is that a moral high-ground thing, or are you just a pussy? I'm just a pussy. See, all of this is going on with Lisa Miller, and he doesn't tell Ramona about it. He doesn't tell Ramona about a lot. Like, getting a job and Lisa Miller. Maybe that's just because a guy thing. There's, um, there's many, many things yeah, that, I've, that happen. And at some point, your mum has said, you never told me that. And I'm like, did I not? Was I supposed to? I forgot. Was it important? <laughs> yeah. It was a kind of a little bit important. Oh, right. Obviously, that, I didn't think it was important because he didn't have Spider-Man in it. That and Ramona's barely in this. Yeah, Ramona's not in this issue a lot. She just shows up at various different times and meets everybody. I like Scott sitting eating and everyone just is just oblivious to yeah, everybody, yeah. isn't he? He's got no idea what's going on with life. When it says she was in a TV show, was she in Degrassi? I don't know. Because that's the only thing I can think of that was shot in Canada. Right. That was about Degrassi Junior. You not know Degrassi Junior High? No. Oh, man. You were oh, so missed out. And they had the dream sequence. There's quite a lot of dream sequences. Well, Dreaming yeah, is free. This is a little bit, from what I'm seeing, a little mm. bit of Zelda. A little bit of Zelda. A little bit of Final Fantasy. Mm. And a little bit of Dragon Quest. Which is always nice. Because those are three games that are heavily referenced in this. Yes. Uh, Scott comes out of his house. I said house. Yeah, yeah. His little hole in the ground. And, hi, Knives. Hi. I'm not even stalking you. <laughs> yeah, it's cool. Don't worry about it. But somebody's stalking them both. Mm. Stacey's not in it a lot. No. And Scott's realised that he actually has to go out and get a job. I love that he goes in the second cup, which is like the version of Starbucks. Yeah. And because they're all identical, he's frequently getting confused about which one he's in. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Stacey, uh, she doesn't work in this the location, The same exteriors Scott. do not lead to the same interiors. <laughs> which is true, because yeah. most Starbucks look... Identical. I like how every time he sees Julie as well, ah, it's you! Scott, that stopped being funny a long time ago. <laughs> I love how easy he gets a job. Yeah, yeah. He's watching, this is, can I have a job? Are you going to be the best dishwasher there has ever been? <laughs> I love Stephen's motivational speech. <laughs> Stephen Stills is actually quite cool. Are you going to work here? Do you have what it takes to be a serious dishwasher, eh? Maybe the best dishwasher there ever was? <laughs> 500 experience points. <laughs> and then 
Knives Chow's dad shows up and cuts the street car in half yep. with his magic sword. And it just becomes ridiculous. Which is good. Mm-hmm. It doesn't come ridiculous in a bad way. And they escape by jumping through subspace, which Kim doesn't like. Yeah. Kim just is like, okay, I have to go. Who's these douches that uh, uh, do, do, do Wallace Wells is hanging around with? There's guys Wallace Wells hanging around with. Right. Well, have you got no pants on? Wallace Wells in one Oh, have I not? Why do they go into recording their album at this point instead of playing live anymore? Because... I didn't quite get these bits. When Kim moves in with them, Stephen Stills walks past Joseph's room and says yeah. that he's got recording equipment and then goes, Ah, you can, you can record our album. And, well, you find out what happens at the end of Volume 6. Yeah. It doesn't go very well. Well, not, not quite that, but... Stephen's a bit occupied. Oh, yeah, so he is. But we'll get to Volume 6. Yeah. Um, Wallace and Scott go to renew their lease, which is great, because it's very, very funny. So apparently, says the landlord, you're actually caught upon the rent. Then that's impossible, (laughs) says Wallace, because you paid first and last up front, and this is your last month. And you're thinking, what a bastard. I I like... um the elevator bit there's just a panel of Wallace looking at Scott confusion and Scott's just like I like elevators <laughs> an elevator that's nicer than their apartment <laughs> yeah. it actually has a caption it's a, hey that. that's my birthday your birthday is da 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 August 27th August 27th oh no. no Scott goes to work and it has work written above it yeah in large letters and then when he comes out it says one million hours later <laughs> We've all had days like that. <laughs> and then he gets attacked. And then he gets attacked again. Is this attacked by... Oh, no, this is the ninja... <laughs> I love his description of her later on. He's telling Stephen Stills about this. And he gets attacked by somebody with almost ninja-like stealth and speed. And Stephen's like, almost ninja-like? <laughs> that was fun. I don't know why yeah. that made me laugh so much. I just thought that was a brilliant line. How can you be almost ninja-like? And then he's like, L is for Lisa. <laughs> he's thick as pig <laughs> in this issue. Well, there is a bit of a reason that plays into the story. I never got that he was this thick. I, I th- there's the scene where him and Wallace are talking about leaving the apartment as well. Which is actually quite sweet. It is quite quite sad and sweet when they start moving mm. on. When they realise that they've, they've got to get out of this ramshackle apartment that they live in. I like how Wallace is like, if you want to stay, I'll stay with you. When he won't, he's already signed another lease. Yeah. He's just making him feel good. And Ron- then the, the bit where Scott sees Ramona and Roxy talking to each other, he stands in front of him with his hands on his hip. And what's going on here? There's a brilliant, brilliant bit in the middle bit where he, he meets up with Roxanne and where he's working as a dishwasher. And uh, she keeps saying evil ex-boyfriends and Roxy just keeps saying evil exes. Well, it's Ramona. Oh, it is Ramona, yeah, she's, she's got the goggles on. She keeps correcting him every time he every says time it. Every time he says it. Yeah. Why do you keep saying that? You mean he doesn't know? Scott, isn't it obvious? <laughs> and then you've got a page of his brain <laughs> figuring it out. <laughs> and it just cracks and a little, a little chick comes out. Uh, you and her? Oh, relax, it was just a phase. <laughs> you had a sexy phase? <laughs> And then Roxanne moves in for the kill. And it's it's Ramona that serves it. And this is really, really funny. Subspace suitcase capacity unknown. Yeah. So Scott just hides in it and says, is there a bathroom in it? It's just his little head popping out. Your friend is so fired, man. The art in this is really good because it's so simple. Mm. It's not simplistic. 
But the facial expressions are just absolutely fantastic. What else has he done now that this is finished? Seconds. Other than that? That's it. That's it? Yeah. What else does he do? Or is he just living off the movie money? He just lives off the money and then works on the next one. What's the next one? Well, I don't know. Oh. Like, as soon as he finished Scott Pilgrim, he started working on Seconds. As soon as. But he just carried on living on the Scott Pilgrim money until Seconds was done. So now Scott's out... On the outs with Ramona, he can't go back home. That's a funny scene. He goes back home, turns the light yeah. on, and the next scene is just him outside rubbing his eyes. And Wallace is outside with Wallace saying, over him. Presumably, you saw his junk, and I apologise for that. <laughs> I can't unsee that. <laughs> we've all. Oh no, we've not. <laughs> so that was funny. I like that. And then he goes to Lisa Miller, doesn't he? Yeah. And she tells him all that stuff that you mentioned in the uh, in the synopsis about how she's just flirting with him outrageously. And he gets an awful lot of action with somebody who's so clueless. He does. In the dream sequence, Roxy Richter actually cuts up the panels with her sword. Mm, which is good. Yeah. Good piece of design work. And there's some little nice character development where Scott actually grows up with his he relationship does. with Ramona. Unknowingly, because he doesn't remember it. No. I like how he goes back to work. Yeah. And, uh, and then we get another brain split. Where my dad's brain split in half, says Knives Chow, to replaced by a purely mechanical engine of revenge. <laughs> when he finds out that she's dating somebody. And then he gets up and walks into him. And then we just get lots of pages of them fighting each other. Yeah. Which is, you know. Ramona starts being a bit. Yeah, Ramona goes through affairs here, doesn't she? that goes in but she does say in volume 6 I experimented with being a bitch for a while yeah so and then yeah. we get introduced to Nega Scott yes who represents a bigger meaning does he mm. oh you're going to come to that later oh well excellent he cons Roxanne into fighting Knives' dad and all Ramona's bothered about is that <laughs> she's lost the security deposit mm-hmm and then he, he stops being a pussy. He, he does. He, he mans up in regards to fighting Roxy because of his mans up with his relationship with Ramona. Yeah, and then we get a level up. Guts plus two, heart plus three, smarts plus one, will plus one. Scott earned the power of love. With a flaming sword. We get a flaming sword, which he pulls from inside of his chest. Yeah, and then we get a very... Very... John, John Woo, Samurai-esque yeah. sword fight. Where he cuts Roxanne in half and she slides. The cliched moon jump. Yeah, that's a bit what I say that, huh? Felt a little bit bad for Roxanne. I mean, she's not in it very much, and she turns into bunnies. Yeah. So he doesn't get any money out of that. And then, so you dated twins at the same time? I don't have to answer that. Well, she kind of does. Oh, man, am I going to have to fight two at once in Volume 5? Can't this just be the last book? <laughs> so that was Brian Lee O'Malley wondering, maybe I've bitten off a little bit more than I'd consume by saying this will be six volumes. Could be. Never feels padded or strained, though, doesn't it? As far as I'm concerned, says Knives Chow's dad, Scott Pilgrim is a halfway decent young man. Maybe you dating a white guy wouldn't be so bad. And they don't understand him because he was speaking Chinese. <laughs> <laughs> and Kim and Scott are bored stiff of the recording and they all go out and eat at Sneaky D's again. I love the bit where it's like, oh Scott, you're drinking beer. Yeah, Ramona's making me. What do you think of it? It's yucky. <laughs> well, he's right. Yeah. You know. And it has quite the sweet ending. It does. It have. It has. 
a very sweet ending. Patrick Cormar gets his own strip at the end. Michael Cormar. Michael Cormar, which he didn't actually mention in the, uh, in no, the synopsis. It, it's yeah, volume four is where it all stops being fun and hijinks. Yeah. And the relationships take a separate turn and life starts changing for him and he has to move out of his apartment and it was very good. And Ramona starts... The real Ramona. Yeah, she starts changing, but she's changing back into her old self. Yeah. Envy Adams crops up again in volume five, which we'll surely get to in a minute. Oh, Isn't God. Envy Adams based upon Emily Hearns from Metro? She is indeed. Rule my girl with Teutonic 
Serious, like, yeah, with big eyes and purple hair. She got a hood up. Yes, the first printing of this was in a shiny color. All following printings were not in the same color. All oh, right, so and you, you, there's that a first print. It is. Wow, I'm pretty sure that Ramona's wearing different clothes on the second print as well. Yes, sir. Yeah, yeah. the and world is not enough. On the back, we have cool little screenshots of the Scott Pilgrim video game that never was. Alright, oh, is that not real? No. That's a shame, because that looks like it would be a fun sideways scroller. Yeah, well they did a Scott Pilgrim sideways scroller. But that one In a similar it. style, but that wasn't it, no. This one, the introduction, it just throws away everything they've done in the other ones. Mm. Scott Pilgrim, your hero. Gideon, a cat. Kim Pine, drummer. Ramona Flowers, she's American. Stephen Sills, the talent. Julie Powers, obnoxious. <laughs> Young Neil, hanger on. Knives Chow, teenager. Stacey Powers, sister. Pilgrim, sorry. And Wallace W, advisory capacity. <laughs> That's it. In all the others, you got little bits of introduction about yeah. it. He's given up on that by this point. Do you know Julie Powers was named after Julie Powers from Power Pack? Was she? The Marvel Oh, comic. yeah, yeah. There you go. See? Tell us about this one, though. Scott is 24 years old oh, no. and bored of Julie's several theme parties at her new place, <laughs> but it's at her Mexican Day of the Dead party that Ramona spots Ken and Carl, Katty and Aggie, the twins. When Scott confronts them, rather than fight, they unleash a robot on him. 
Scott fights the robot and Ramona goes onto the balcony for a smoke with Kim, where they talk about the bounce recording. Knives and Seaman Stills watch the fight, and Seaman Stills notices that Knives is still pining for Scott. She says that when she sees him with Ramona, he can see that he's happy, but when will she be happy? Stephen Stills tells her the awful truth, that he only dated her because it was easy, and then he two times the both of them. Then Scott beats the robot, thus winning the party. Comes November and Scott is eating breakfast whilst Ramona gets ready to go out. She tells him to empty the dishwasher while she's out, but Scott notices that, he, that she left her phone on the table and plays games on it until she gets back. Whilst in the bath, she tells him to charge her phone. He looks in the drawer and finds the charger next to a letter addressed to Gideon. The next day, Kim and Scott sit and wait for Stephen Stills and Joshua finish the song they're working on, but Stephen Stills calls for an emergency band meeting. He says that they've got a show at Sneaky D's this Sunday, so they need to practice. They play, but after two and a half sucky-ass minutes, they realise they're doomed. Scott and Ramona go shopping, where Scott talks at Ramona, while she looks at new clothes to change her style, and she tells Scott that she doesn't even like his band, which keeps him awake at night. The following morning, after she leaves and forgets her phone, again, Scott texts Wallace, telling him Ramona hates his band and asks what, he, what should he do. Wallace tells him he also hates his band. That Sunday at Sneaky D's, the band, with no idea what they're doing, open their set by counting down into different songs. Meanwhile, in the toilets, Knife speaks to Ramona. It's less of talk and more of a fight. It ends with Knife telling her that Scott cheated on the both of them. When Ramona leaves, she finds Scott on stage, having destroyed another robot with his guitar. It turns out the whole show was just a setup so that a robot could kick his ass. What he also only just realises is that he's broken the neck of his brother's guitar. As they leave, Ramona tells Scott that she needs some time to think, and it's only a small apartment, so Scott decides to stay with one of his friends that doesn't hate him. The following morning, Wallace Wells cooks them both dinner, and tells Scott that he couldn't dig anything up on the twins since Scott couldn't remember their names, but he's compiled a document on Gideon, God and Graves. Scott goes to the video rental store and meets Kim. They go to Stephen Stills' place but find a lonely and mopey young Neil, so instead they go out for dinner. That night, as Scott lies on Kim's couch, he asks her for a favour. The following day, Kim and Ramona hang out at a cafe and Scott walks past them, noticing Kim and seeing Ramona. Ramona laughs because Scott's cunning plan actually worked. Ramona and Kim talk about the guy Kim was seeing, who then tried it on with Holly behind her back. Kim then notices something and asks why is Ramona's head glowing. Kim takes her into the toilets to look at it, to look in the mirror, but it's gone by the time they get there. Scott and Kim invite Ramona to another of Julie's theme parties. They don't even they don't even like them, but at least they give them something to complain about. At the party, Scott tries to stash away a bottle, which Julie notices when she introduces him to Ken and Kyle. They notice the bottle and say it must have been Ramona picking the drinks, and Scott prepares to fight them until a giant robot comes from behind. Outside, Ramona smokes, and Ken comes out handing her the bottle. She takes it, but coldly brushes him off. A few moments later, the door opens again, and she angrily tells them to piss off, but it's Kim instead, who, as Ramona turns around, takes a picture on the phone. As the fight rages on, Kim and Ramona head upstairs to look at the photo of Ramona's glowing head, and when Kim asks her what it means, Ramona says that she's not going to tell her. After defeating the robot, Scott looks up to see Kim leaning over the balcony, beckoning him upstairs. Twenty drunken minutes later, the three decide to head home. 
Kim splits off from the two and at the subway is confronted by the twins. Scott and Ramona get home and drunkenly make out until Scott passes out. She asks him if he cheated on her with knives and he said no. He cheated on knives with her. She says that he's a bad person who tricked her into believing he was decent. He's just another evil ex waiting to happen. He says he's sorry and as soon as tomorrow he's going to fight the twins and make Gideon go away. He wakes up to no Ramona. But soon he hears her in the shower. He sees her phone get a text from Kim. The twins got her and she needs assistance. He heads out and yells to Ramona not to break up with him whilst he's out. She storms out of the bathroom demanding to know what he's yelling about but he's already gone. She finds her phone open on the bed but it's low on battery. Then she takes a towel off her head and reveals her newly cut short hair. Meanwhile Scott is getting his ass handed to him by the twins. As they beat him they tell him that Ramona's a runner coming to Toronto to escape from Gideon and leave her past behind. They tell him that she's probably packing her bags right now to move on again. Kim, trapped in a cage hanging from the roof, tells Scott that she's just gotten a text from Ramona, saying that she believes in him and can't wait for him to get back. This gives Scott the power he needs to beat the twins at the same time, not knowing that Kim's phone battery is dead and she lied to him. After freeing Kim from the cage, he checks to see if she's okay before running back to Ramona's. He charges upstairs to find her sat on the bed, holding the letter to Gideon, her hair short and head glowing. She cries as she tells him that she's done some bad things and is a bad person. Scott tries to convince her otherwise, but she begins to fade out. Before she goes, she thanks Scott for the good time. And then Scott is left alone with Gideon the cat in an empty bedroom. He checks the rest of the house and walks into the garden where Gideon runs away. He turns around to find the door shut and locked. He checks his pockets, but he's forgotten his keys again. <laughs> in the following weeks, Scott drifts. He stays with Stephen Stills and Kim, who tells him that she's going to move back home. He speaks to her and Stacy about how to capture Gideon the cat. He stays with Wallace, who tells him that Ramona left him for a reason, and until Scott knows that reason, then she's not coming back. Scott sees Kim off at the bus station and apologises for everything that's happened between them. An apology that gets accepted. His parents buy him a new apartment and he gives his guitar back to his brother. While sat on his own, he receives a phone call from Gideon. See you. 
everything gets ripped apart. Yeah. Because this is the penultimate book. It is. In the series. Can I ask, why is this one thanking Kanye West? Where does it thank Kanye West? Uh, there you go. Special thanks. Kanye West. Why is it thanking him? Well, you know, uh, uh, like, award ceremonies... And ah, right, so if answers. this had won an award, Kanye would have insisted that it was given to Beyonce. No, In fact, no. it won a number of awards, didn't it? You know how they always say, well, first, I want to thank God. Yeah. And that's like seems to be... <laughs> thanking Kanye. Well, yeah, exactly. He is thanking the Lord our God, Kanye West. <laughs> oh, right. That's very <laughs> true. Because it won Wizards Indie of the Year 2006. It was a Harvey Award and a Special Award for Humor in 2007. And it was Entertainment Weekly's Independent Comic of the Year 2006. Now, I can only assume Kanye insisted every single one of those in a way of respecting the artist, went to Beyoncé. Yeah, well... That makes sense to me. Now, I'm Brian, I'm a late finish, <laughs> but Beyoncé, the best graphic novel of all time. <laughs> Beyoncé wrote none of these, <laughs> but she should get the award. Have we milked that guy? We did it last week. <laughs> yeah. I'll tell you what. Well, Kanye, it never gets boring taking the piss out of such a pompous ass, though, does it? There is that. To be honest with you. Uh, I couldn't remember what the reference, the credit reference was this time. It's, it's Fighting Dragons, The Streets of Rage, or something like that. Oh, right. I'll take your word for it. It does look like Dueling Dragons. Yeah. So, yeah, from uh, Universal. I like that Scott's t-shirt is the four and a half mm. that John Byrne would put on Frankly. Yeah. Fantastic Four comics. And the poster on the wall this week is Steve McQueen as Bullet. Mm hmm. Steve McQueen's 24. Steve McQueen is 24. Steve McQueen's dead. Yes. So he's not 24. But Scott Pilgrim is 24. And I, Scott Pilgrim, will be the best 24 year old ever. Scott Pilgrim wins his birthday. I, no, love, no, I, no. I love the panel of a meeting cake. I love the panel of a meeting cake. And you've got to wonder why. Yeah. Because there's so much to it. It's because Scott's adorable. Despite being dense. As, as a 24-year-old guy, Scott is pretty adorable. But dense. Yeah. Mm. Okay. I, I love the themed the themed parties that Julie has. Yeah. Uh, underwater pimp and hoe party. Canadian politics circa 1972, but you're secretly Batman party. <laughs> and the last one. Well, the last one was Halloween, so that gets a free pass. <laughs> so what's this? Mexican Day of the Dead. <laughs> Kim Pine is just so sarcastic. Imagine what you do if she didn't invite you, though. No horror-themed Mexican food, no slutty dead people. You'd be missing out on a real cultural bonanza. <laughs> I like Kim Pine's sarcasm. Kim Pine's sarcasm amuses me. The two evil exes are Kyle and Ken Katayanagi. Katayanagi. That's it, who were both twins, who Ramona dated at the same time. Who were Burley in the film. Who were they played by in the film? Some Japanese guys. Nobody important. Nobody Not important. Brandon Ralph. In fact, <laughs> the, the whole the whole twins. This entire book is pretty crap in the film. Well, it's not in it. Wasn't this the one that was out when they were scripting the film? Because so the last one wasn't out. The last volume wasn't out when the film came. But out. considering Brian Lee O'Malley had an influence on the film and was involved. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, this. I mean, I've not rewatched the film because you weren't around. We, we, we would have done it last week, but for some reason you decided not to. I dug it out and then you fell asleep. I didn't fall asleep at all. Well, where were you then? Upstairs. Well, why were you not down here? You know where the TV is. Because you were cooking tea. I expected you'd, co you'd beckon me. I thought you fell asleep. No. I dug it down and everything so we could watch it in preparation for this show. You know, doing our research. And then we, we didn't because I've not seen you all week because you've been at concerts having fun. Which just isn't allowed, <laughs> quite frankly, when you're not going to university interviews. And having fun. 
You're not allowed to do that. I don't like it that you have fun. Such. Uh, Wallace's only appearance in uh, this particular issue is via text message. It's not the only appearance. Is it not? He's in it later on. Is he? Yeah. When's he in it later on? Once Scott's got no no one else. Oh yes, 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 yes. You're absolutely right. Yeah, when he's got nowhere else to go, in uh, true Richard gear. Yeah. Back to the Ben's fashion. Uh, He just keeps messing him, saying, "Hey, buddy, I'm drunk for you. You equals Scott." And he's emailing these. He's texting these. Sorry to Ramona. Scott doesn't have a phone. Because Scott doesn't have a phone. As we'll see later on. What's this fighting a robot thing? Because Ken and Kyle are Japanese, and we all know how the Japanese love the, the robots. The toy robot. Yeah. Oh, all right, fair enough. It was funny. Yeah. And the robot's quite cute and everything. Scott Pilgrim wins the party. All this is just going on in the background. Mm. Um, this is volume five. When does Stephen Stills come out? In volume five. Because he does actually say in Volume 6, I came out in Volume 5, people were shocked, but you were too wrapped up in yourself to notice. Yeah, yeah. And I'm wondering if I just missed it. It's, it's the... Alright, okay. There's some funny bit, again, Scott eating his cereal is a great panel. Yeah. Why? And then the four panels where he's playing games where on Ramona's phone. Where he just plays phone. games on Ramona's phone. Because she goes out and says, why did she not take her phone with her? She forgets. She forgets it an awful lot. Alright, okay. Uh, so she goes out all day having asked him to do the dishwasher and he just plays games on her phone all day. Yep. Well done, Scott. A little bit lame, isn't he? And then he finds the letter from Gideon. Oh. Or to Gideon, even. And thus, and a major plot point coming. Ramona's changed her uh, rear window poster to a Fargo poster. Yeah, well, Fargo, big with students, isn't it? Mm. <laughs> Not the TV series. And then there's a nice sequence of panels of the meeting and Ramona looking out the window. We, we've got a show of sneaky D's. I'm pretty sure it's Julie setting it up as a kind of revenge thing. <laughs> They've not played live for ages, and they play for two and a half minutes, and are very bad. Yeah. And it doesn't get any better, because what I do like is when they do eventually play, Kim Pine counting in herself, Scott and Stills ready to play Erasmus. Well, it's because of Scott being useless. Yeah, it's Scott being useless. Earlier on, we're doing herself first, right? Scott, no idea. Uh, yeah? Later on, you told Kim we're doing Erasmus first, right? Scott, no idea. Uh, yeah? <laughs> Scott's crap. And they actually did say, we sucked. It was your fault that we sucked. And then there's the fight with the... Oh, yeah, before this, when Scott and Ramona go out, and did you notice that Scott's turned into Knives and Ramona Scott when Scott wanted to break up with her? Oh, no, I did not notice that. But that is actually really Scott's good. just talking about the Australian era of X-Men. Yes! <laughs> and, and Ramona just doesn't care. Instead, she's just trying to reinvent herself so she can run away again. Yeah, because she's on about leaving with lots of different clothes. You know, I did not realise that little bit of... Uh, that's good, that. Yeah. I like that. It's good storytelling. But she uh, leaves him. Ramona hates my band, what do I do? I hate your band too. Hey, we should have dinner. Or breakfast. breakfast. <laughs> Which is funny. But then, at the uh, when they play the show, and Knives and Ramona fight, and it's Ramona's pretty brutal in, in this fight scene. She's pretty brutal to poor Knives. When she slams her against the wall. Yeah. And breaks the wall. We have to talk, so talk. I'm still making my mind at what to say. Well, Tita. She's a bit of a bitch. That was $48 worth of eyeliner, Knives. What is your deal? Yeah, but Knives is a bit... Uh, Yo, they're only having this fight here because it's a comic book game. 
Yeah, and they need to show Ramona's change of personality. Yeah, as we move along. And then she comes out and Scott's already beaten the, the robot. Yeah, we don't see the fight and in this the, the fight scenes in this are just in the background. Yeah, like Scott, Brian Lee O'Malley just got bored of them. Yeah. That's... Which works. Yeah. Doesn't and he's it? like, oh yeah, turns out this was all just a setup. And Ramona's like, you didn't notice the posters. Uh, Wally Quills has some funny lines. Where's your fancy psychic boyfriend I'm not allowed to meet? Mobile? He's at a business thing on the astral plane, but he left his body for me to play with. And Scott's like, Oh! <laughs> I love Scott's constant reactions to, to Wallace's gayness. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny. It is. Very, very, and vaguely realistic in many ways. And it's Wallace that lets him, that finds out all about Gideon. Mm. Young Neil still being moper. And he starts hanging out with Kim more. Well, Kim's been the one throughout the entire series of books, despite her sarcasm and despite her off putting demeanour. She's actually the one who's been with him all well, the way through it. They do start planting the seeds in the last two, and even the last one that Kim. Could be, should be his soulmate, yeah, rather than Ramona. Mm. But but then there's the great bit where he asks Kim for a favour, and then the next scene is Kim and Ramona hanging out. And Scott walks past, proud of himself. <laughs> hey Kim, oh hi Ramona, <laughs> you set this up. <laughs> I like that his Scott sense tingles whenever somebody says his name. Yeah. <laughs> That was amusing. And he's utter panic at the ex and the girlfriend hanging out together. Mm. Which is Kim and Ramona. Yeah, Ramona's having a, a, a hard time. And she's got all the lines going out of her head again. Yeah. And Kim takes a photo of it on her phone. A flip phone. Mm-hmm. Remember when they were a thing? I remember when they were a thing. And then they head upstairs. For another fight scene. Yeah. It's quite sad, this one. It is. But I like I like the scene where Scott looks up and is like, Oh, hey, Kim, what are you doing up there? Try the stirs. the stirs. It's quite sad, this one, because this is where everything goes wrong. I mean, it's took to volume five to get to the Empire Strikes Back moment. Yeah. But I suppose it's six volumes instead of three. And, and the conversation between Ramona and Scott about him cheating on her, well, he's like, yeah, not really. I cheated on knives with you, so that yeah. doesn't really count, does it? But it's like, she thought Scott would be his escape from everything. Mm. But instead, because of what happened between him and her and knives, she sees herself in him. And then she decides to run away. Wow, this is deep. Yeah. And uh, the twins have kidnapped Kim. Yeah. I liked this scene a great deal. I, I like Kim lying to Scott. Yeah, Kim lies to Scott. She says, I've just got a text message from Ramona. And she believes in you, Scott. And she thinks that you should kick his ass. Ramona is fine. Do it. And then it shows us a shot of her phone and it's just low battery. Yeah. And because he's, he's getting his ass handed to him both physically and mentally. Yeah, because he's not in an emotional state to handle this particular fight. Yeah. And Kim... Puts him in the right state of mind to handle it. By the time he gets back, she catches him just as she leaves. I'll, I'll be honest. 
these last two volumes make me very emotional. Do they? I teared up. This scene. Did he hit you in the fields? This scene where she disappears and like says goodbye to him. I teared up writing a synopsis. Did you? Oh, that's actually quite strange. He ends up sleeping with Kim. Not in that way. In a Wallace Wells way. Yeah, because they've sold the couch. And he's got nowhere else to go. So Kim allows him to show her bed, but they don't actually do anything that they shouldn't do. Which is fair enough. And then Mobile shows up. And then and Scott Kim, thinks he's, he's Gideon. Kim leaves? Yeah. That was really sad. Or did or was it was only me that thought that? No, yeah. Because it was... Things are changing. Yeah. And they get over... Scott apologises. Mm. Apology accepted. Then she goes. And Scott locks himself out of the apartment and Gideon runs away. Why, he, why do his parents buy him an apartment? Because uh, they're sick of him moping around and he's got no money. I would that I had the money to buy you an apartment. <laughs> I do like the captions, Dad, Scott, Mum, also Scott. Yeah, and then he, he, he confuses his brother for Gideon and slides down the stairs. Yeah, he gets in, in the three funniest panels. Dude, I'm your brother, Lawrence West. Oh yeah, Scott's brother. Has he been mentioned that he's got a brother before? Uh, I think it might have at some point. It might have come up in conversation. Oh, he was at the dinner table. Yeah. When Wallace went round to the house in volume two or three or whatever volume that was. And he gives him his base pack. That was also a big deal. Mm. So now he's not got anything to play. Yeah. So his band's gone. Kim's gone. And then he reads the letter that Ramona was going to send Gideon where she tells him that she's moved on but couldn't bring herself to send. Oh. oh, That's the end of five. What music was in this one? Blondie! I like a bit of Blondie. No, that's what you listen to whilst making it, isn't it? Is it? Or his soundtrack of things to listen to whilst you're reading it. Lou Reed, Perfect Day. Yeah, I suppose so. Volume five, where everything falls apart. That one should have been called that. Yeah. Scott Pilgrim Falls Apart. In preparation for six. That one is the saddest one. Yeah, it is quite sad because everything is changing. Everything's going away. Everybody's becoming an adult. And at the end of it, everything's ended. Yeah, it's very... It is, volume five's actually quite sad. The only thing that makes Scott continue at the end of that last one is Gideon. Everything else ends in volume five. Mm-hmm. Bills have cost too much 
strange the last few days And this has made me think You know it got me thinking Your pills have cost too much And you can't feel them working anymore So pour them all So volume six has to wrap all of this up. How does it do? Well. Well, tell us. Scott and knives go out. <laughs> That's it. It's After all those synopsises, you did for the other five volumes, That's your synopsis from number six. If Edgar Wright got his own way, yeah. that was how it ended. Yeah, you, you had him ended it with knives, didn't he? Yeah. That's just not right. Because it kind of defeats the whole point. Yeah. That's a bit silly. Yeah. That's an alternate ending on the DVD. Thankfully, not the ending that they went with. Yeah. Kim would have been a better choice. Kim, arguably, would have been a better choice than Ramona. Arguably. But more of that later. More of that later. Scott Pilgrim's Finest Hour. Uh, was volume six and came out on July the 20th, 2010, which I, I bought new. You did? And you couldn't wait for the American edition. I couldn't wait. You to bought the British into, edition. Yeah. I, I, we were in, we were in Traveling Man, and I bought it there, and I couldn't wait to go to Forbidden Planet to buy the American edition. Yeah, so this is a different size. Yeah, <laughs> and worse paper stock. Yeah, I'll buy you the American one <laughs> at some point. Scott has spent months avoiding Gideon and moping around his new apartment on his own. Wallace tells him that he needs to move on and maybe sleep around because he's bored of depressing Scott. Stephen Stills come round to tell him that he's in a new band now and that they're playing a show. He says Scott should get out more and come and see them, but Scott is too busy focusing on his game to notice. After a nightmare of Ramona stabbing him through the heart, leaving him at the mercy of all the girls he's ever hurt, he decides to go see Stephen Stills' band. He hears that Gideon's new club in Toronto is opening soon, and he bumps into now 18-year-old Knives Chow, who he says should have casual sex with him. In the funniest panel in the book. She says no. She spent a year. <laughs> she doesn't. She actually says, I'm truly flattered by well, your I'm, delightful I'm, offer. I'm writing a synopsis here. I'm reading a synopsis. <laughs> well, that was funny. Yeah. <laughs> she spent a year living her life with him and is learning to live her own life now as she's graduating and moving away in a few months. But they can make out, which they do. But it's horrible for everyone, including us. <laughs> Scott finds himself at another party thinking it's Julie's, but is told that Julie moved away a while back. He is told that Envy Adams is also at the party, and young Neil says that he should preemptively be a d to her, which he does, and quickly regrets, offering to buy her a drink. The following morning she calls him, inviting him out for coffee, but he's too tired and replies to her questions with incoherent noises, and she tells him that he wasn't the best of boyfriends. While sleeping, he listens to an answer machine message Kim left telling him to come up and visit her, and he listens, and as he listens, Gideon the cat comes back home to him. He hangs out with Envy again, he tells him that he broke her heart during a fight that he started. She also tells him that she's changed, but Scott's the only one that knew her before she changed, and asks him not to forget. Gideon only sees her the way she is now, and then he appears, walking down the street towards them, but Scott runs away. Wallace sends Scott up to see Kim, telling him to think of it as a wilderness sabbatical, to cleanse his mind so he can fight Gideon. In the Great White North, 
he stays with Kim. He asks her what she's doing here and if she started school again, but she says she doesn't know. She hasn't figured herself out yet. They sit on a hill overlooking a forest and Scott kisses her. At first she's shocked, but soon kisses him back before pulling away, saying that they can't. Scott says that she's always been there for him. In every difficulty and change in his life, she's been there. But she says he wasn't that nice of a person when they did date back in high school. He beats up Simon Lee, that boss fight in the Volume 2 flashback, who she was dating, and she only knew Scott was moving to Toronto through Lisa Miller. Scott's head glows, and he stands up trying to brush it all off, but in the forest he sees Nega Scott. He fights it, trying to forget his memories. Kim says he has to remember them, otherwise he'll just make the same mistakes, but Scott doesn't care. He'd rather forget them and be happy, rather than accept his memories. But then he remembers Ramona, and all her different appearances. And then he remembers everything, and then Nega Scott explodes. At the bus station, Kim tells Scott to fight to win Ramona back and kisses him one last time for luck. Back into Toronto, he storms into the Chaos Theatre on his opening night and sees all of the supporting cast. He gets himself a drink and spits it onto himself when he sees Julie again with Sandra and Monique. He's given a promotional t-shirt by the bartender and continues to ask around trying to find Ramona. He stumbles into Stacey and young Neil and introduces the two, introducing young Neil as Neil making it the greatest day of Neil's life. <laughs> he sees knives and Tamara when the lights go out and Envy makes her elaborate entrance onto the stage to perform. Gideon appears behind Scott from the crowd and the two fight. Scott demands to know where Ramona is but Gideon doesn't know. In fact he's surprised and thought she'd be with Scott. He finds it hilarious that Scott defeated six exes just for her to run away. Scott says that it's complicated between them and Gideon punches Scott in the chest, pulling out his sword and stealing the power of love. He offers Scott the chance to join the league, but Scott refuses and is stabbed through the chest. Scott wakes up in the desert and complains that he's dead, but Ramona sits beside him and tells him he's just dreaming. She apologises for leaving, saying that in the days before she was getting pretty messed up and didn't want Scott to end up getting messed up either, but she had to come back for herself. Ramona's always been the one who walked away but she doesn't want to be that person anymore and so she came back. She tries to apologise but Scott keeps kissing her. She tells him to stop but when Scott says it's all just a dream anyway so it doesn't matter, she tells him that she lied and that he really is dead. But this wouldn't be a problem if Scott didn't get the extra life in volume 3 and he wakes back up in the chaos theatre. Out of the stab wound in his chest comes Ramona. Gideon returns to planet, and from the roof comes an elaborate cryogenic freezing machine filled with all the girls that got away from Gideon, but he's freezing them all so that they'll love him one day, and there's one last place, reserved for Ramona. He sends out a super Kamehameha that makes everybody's head glow, and Scott and Ramona argue while Scott fights Gideon. Gideon says that when Ramona left him he drunkenly posted a Craigslist ad, but didn't actually expect her evil exes to respond. Deciding that coming back was a mistake, Ramona says that maybe she can't change after all, and tries to fade out again, but Gideon stabs her through the back. He tells Scott that he created a way of literally getting into her head, but she used it to her own advantage so that she could escape into the subspace any time it got too rough. Scott decides to jump into the subspace suitcase, and finds Gideon sat on a throne, holding the handcuffs of a scantily dressed Ramona. He tells Scott that this is what Ramona really wants, but Scott runs towards him. 
With every footstep, Gideon grows bigger and more monstrous, but Scott leaps up and headbutts him so hard he turns back to normal, and they both fall to the floor. Scott catches Ramona as they fall, but is cut in half by Gideon upon landing. Having seen how Scott cursed for her, Ramona's clothes change, and she snaps out of the handcuffs. You're right, she says. A part of her does belong to Gideon, but the others don't, and they're finished with him. Then, all the different parts of herself appear, and Ramona demands that Gideon gets out of her head. He says fine, but decides to take Scott with him, and prepares to deliver a final killing strike. The Chaos Theatre is filled with light, as Ramona stands over Scott, defending him with the suitcase. With the sword embedded into it, the suitcase explodes, but Ramona, having earned the power of love, takes the sword. Envy offers to help Gideon, but he tells her to back off. Why would he need help from her? Then Scott remembers all the time he hurt someone, always ever hurt, Natalie, Kim, Knives and Ramona. He then stands to see all of his friends and the people in his life, the people who support him. He says he understands, and earns the power of understanding, unlocking a new sword and t-shirt. Gideon pulls the sword out of Envy's dress. Yes, he hid a sword in Envy's dress. That's just the kind of person he is. Scott and Ramona fight Gideon, who tells them that he's been watching their relationship in Scott's head using the convenient subspace highway. Ramona knocks the sword out of his hands and together, Scott and Ramona finish Gideon off. After he explodes into coins, Envy hugs Scott, giving them both closure, before telling him to get off her stage so she can finish her set. As she plays, all of Gideon's exes are freed. Scott's friends ask where Ramona's been, and she says she went on a wilderness sabbatical. She wanted to find herself, but ended up sleeping on the couch watching X-Files. On the elevator up to the ground floor, Ramona tells Scott that she can't change. She always tries to, but just gets stuck. He tells her that they can get unstuck, together. All she needs to do is hold on. In the following days, Scott finds out Stephen Stills and Joshua are a thing. He and Kim start a new band, Shatterband, and he sees Knives one last time. He tells him he'll always be her clash at demon head, whatever that means. <laughs> then he meets Ramona. They decide to try again and jump through a subspace door, together, holding hands as they fade away. <laughs>
Aww. This one's very esoteric. Yeah. There's a lot of wacky dream sequences in this one. But they get around it by it all being in Ramona's head. Yeah, and the fight scenes are wackier than ever in this one. It's because it's more dramatic. But it works. Yeah. As an ending. It's not a disappointing ending. Mm. And all the relationships are tied up quite nicely by the time we get to the end. And it's still quite funny as well in mm. places. Scott's like bit, a bit depressed. And he's yeah, just, Scott's going through his depression at the beginning. He's hiding away in video games. And Wallace tells him that he was he was more fun when he was when he was uh, sleeping with Ramona, so he should just go out and sleep with people. Yeah, and all his friends have moved away. Julie's gone. Yeah, and he didn't even know. Yeah, well, a lot of things happened, and he didn't know. Yeah. like Stephen Stills and Joshua. Yeah, <laughs> freaking out a little. I hate your friends. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I came out in volume five. You seem too wrapped up in yourself to notice, mm. which is why they weren't getting any work done. Yeah, yeah, on the album. Because it, it, it was there, once you know. But yeah, once you go back and, and know what's going on. Oh, yeah, he decided that he was gay. Yeah, yeah. Alright, fair enough. Julie turned you gay? <laughs> <laughs> Funniest line in the book. Yeah. Although there's a lot of funny ones in there. We should have sex. Casual sex. Yeah, the, but the pan, it's the art that makes that thing. Yeah. Do you want to have sex? <laughs> I think we should have sex. Casual sex. <laughs> and then it's the page after that where knives are just like. I can't believe you really just said that. I know, yeah. And Scott's really uncomfortable. And then the caption is, So that happened. <laughs> I'm truly flattered by your delightful offer. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I love the memory cams that keep happening. <laughs> Scott, you are so hot and sexy. Oh, hey, thanks. <laughs> I love them. <laughs> the drawn, like the drawings of a little five-year-old. Scott's wearing a, a Dragon Quest t-shirt, though. Is he? Yeah, one, one of the slimes. Knives Chouse as well. We finally get to make out, and it was horrible. Yeah. So Knives grows up, and then Scott ends up at a party of someone he doesn't know. Yeah, he thinks it's he thinks it's Julie's because it's in Julie's apartment. But so he he doesn't know anyone here, does he? Apart from Young Neil and and Comeau. Yeah. And Envy Adams is there. Envy Adams, the perfect woman. Bust nine nine nine. Waist nine nine nine. Hips nine nine nine. Oh god, I love what Scott says to her as well. Envy Adams hanging out with me immortals. Why don't you head back to Montreal? I'm sorry, I'll buy you a drink. (laughs) We will spare you the embarrassment of witnessing the rest of this awful spectacle. Turn the page. (laughs) Do you notice as well the art? Not only did it get a lot more refined, but he started hiring other people to do the grey tones and... Um, buildings. Why? Just look at some of the buildings. Right. Yeah, it's not Brian Lee O'Malley, is it? No. Why did he do that? Delays, maybe. Well, it says at the back he actually got this one out on time. Right. So maybe that's what it is. But it did come out around the same time as the film. I love Scott being hyper and the caption is, he had coffee. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I love um, you weren't such a paragon or whatever. Yeah, yeah, you weren't at a paragon of virtue and Scott's just drinking coffee with big wide eyes. I was such a paragon. You kind of feel sorry for Envy Adams at the end of it as well. Yeah, because this is She's just being manipulated by Gideon, isn't she? Well, this is where Scott starts to... um, Yeah, Gideon the cat comes back, which is hilarious. He comes in, Scott freaks out and sleeps holding the cat tightly. Which is nice. Look at the cat's face. (laughs) Yeah. But then he moves up with Kim and he starts accepting 
because he's dopey and ignorant and in his own head because he doesn't want to accept what's going on around him. He wants to live. He doesn't want to accept that life is changing. He doesn't want to admit that he's growing up and mm-hmm. so he just he hurts people just because he wants to stay the same. But he, he accepts that. I like the tumbleweed when he meets Gideon. Yeah. When he's with Envy. And then he runs away. And I love what he says to Envy, maybe we should just have casual sex. <laughs> and Envy just looks at him. Yeah, that's not going to happen. <laughs> yeah, and, Nat- and Natalie is saying that Scott's the only one who really knows her. Because she he knows her from before she was famous. Yeah. Shut up and go train. So Wallace is trying to train him again. Yeah. I have no reason to fight him because he's not going out with Ramona anymore. Yeah, this this book is Rocky IV. You think? See, because the problem with Rocky IV is it's a 45-minute story padded out to 90 minutes with music videos. Yeah, but the whole wilderness sabbatical and training... Oh, yeah, the, the tra- yeah. Oh, yeah we, we're, we're on a Vince DiCola score at this yeah, point. Yeah, yeah. Do, do, There's do, do, no easy do, do, way out. <laughs> There's no shortcut. Oh. I like that Kim decided she wanted to move back so that she could start school again, but mm. doesn't because she doesn't want to know what she does with herself. And her parents aren't that happy about it. She looks pretty pretty sharp, though. Yeah. In that coat that she's wearing and the boots and the sunglasses. And he even gets to make out with Kim. Before so, she decides, no. So basically he gets to snog everybody in this volume yeah. and none of it works for him. Because Kim and Scott's relationship's gotten stronger. They've transcended a high school relationship yeah. and now they're strong they're friends because of it. They're best friends. Yeah. Because of it. And he fights Negascott and Negascott represents all of Scott's ignorant, ignorant and memories that he's stuck to the back of his head. And he flashes back to a, a quite sweet montage of Ramona Flowers. Mm. Like, I really like that scene. And then he's, he's accepting, yeah, I made mistakes and I hurt people and I need to do something about it rather than hide into myself. It's his resolve moment. Yeah. And uh, we get, there's a wonderful hero bit here that kind of doesn't almost fit, where Kim... Puts him on the bus and says, right, fight for her, earn her back, and kisses him for luck, and it will never happen again. And then the next shot, he's not on the bus, he's on on the the roof of the bus, with his cape coat (laughs) floating out in the background, Scott Pilgrim is coming home, and this time it's personal. (laughs) And then we have an interlude with Envy and Gideon. Yeah, Gideon's um, occupation asshole. (laughs) <laughs> played by David Tennant in that panel. It is David Tennant, isn't it? Whereas in the film, he's, um... Whatever his name is. Yeah. Yeah, I've forgotten his name. Yeah. Schwartz. I've forgotten his name. He was in some TV show. Was he? I thought he was in a couple of movies. I saw him in a TV show. Oh, right, okay. Well, we've forgotten his name. Jason Schwartz? I don't know. Something like that, isn't it? And the Chaos Theatre is a very pretentious, art hipster nightclub with everything you possibly want. So, of course, it's Wallace's favourite club. Yeah, I love how Wallace and other Scott are sat in front of a, a semi-dressed boy dancing in a cage. <laughs> Is it a boy? It's a guy, yeah. Oh, right, OK, because it used to be girls in the 60s well, club. Well, they so. say. This, this club is girls, too. Yeah. <laughs> I do like that the caption on them not here, but earlier on, Wallace, gay. Yeah, yeah. Other Scott, somewhat gay. <laughs> Every single person Scott knows is at this club. Yeah, Julie P, the original and best. Sandra, not the original. Monique, not the best. <laughs> he's, 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 he just spits everything out onto himself. Oh, dear me. And then he has to wear the uh, Chaos Theatre t-shirt. Stacy Pilgrim. 
Yeah, everyone shows up for this final. What's his name, doesn't it? Yeah. Uh, Stacy, this is Neil. This is the greatest day of his life. Does he not like being called Young Neil? Young Neil graduates to Neil. And thus he grows up. Yeah. And it's a lovely paddle of big wide eyes with a little tear <laughs> yeah. in the corner of his eye. Before Envy makes the stage. See, sometimes I wish you could actually hear these songs. Yeah. And then it's the fight between him and Gideon. Well, that's what I tried doing last week in last week's show. I do like, what's his name? Scott Pilgrim. Can I be the first to say nice shirt? You're like the third person <laughs> to say that. Because <laughs> yeah. he spat all over the shirt. And Gideon doesn't even know that Ramona wasn't with Scott. He's planned all this, believe that Ramona will be with him. Yeah, and she isn't. And because she isn't, Gideon stole the power of love. What a Because Scott, even though he's admitted he's accepted himself, he's not accepted what's going on between him and Ramona. I don't want to fight you. The secondary characters made me do it. (laughs) (laughs) The League of Evil Ex-Boyfriends. And then we get an Empire Strikes Back bet. Join me, Scott, and I will complete your training. Together we can rule Ramona's future love life. I'll never join you! So he stabs him and kills him. And Scott Pilgrim. The first time I read this, I was quite shocked by that. I mean, not as shocked. I saw the the how much was left, but I was more shocked when Ramona got stabbed. And then everything goes white. And then yeah, Gideon for a couple of pages. I like the use of white pages in this. Yeah, and then it fades back in. And Ramona shows up. Again. And he wakes up with Ramona. So he is in Ramona's head now, or is this just an idiotic dream? Uh, both. They're in the subspace highway. Right, which is where Ramona's hiding out. Mm. Because life has just gotten too much for her. Yeah. Oh, which is a shame. And then we remember that in uh, Volume 3... Yeah. Scott got an extra life! Which his mum says on the phone to Stacey. That was fortunate, wasn't it? Sorry, mum, false alarm. I told you Scott got a one-up in Volume (laughs) 3. I love how it's just considered normal. Well, Stacey's phoned mum to say, oh, by the way, Scott's dead. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Cheers. And then Ramona comes out of Scott's wound. Yeah, so so subspace was in Scott's chest? Uh, they say it was in his head, because that's how Gideon was watching them, in his head. Yeah, that's how Gideon's been monitoring all the way through, but... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's a little bit crazy. Mm. But in a good way. Yeah, then Gideon, like, every girl that got away, he's cryogenically frozen. Yes. But Scott... (laughs) I love when they're fighting, and Scott's, shut up, you guy! And Stephen, it's not Stephen, it's Wallace in the background going, better come back, Scott! (laughs) But they've still not accepted everything, and so Scott's trying to fight Gideon, and he's fighting Ramona. Until they join forces. Yeah. And then another memory cam. Baby, you like my fire. Are you obsessed or what, lols? <laughs> so basically she's reaching into his head, though. Yeah. She's using it the other way around. And then she just tries to disappear again. Because it's getting too tough for her. And then Gideon stops her. Oh. I was deeply saddened. Because you thought they may actually kill her. She's yeah. been riding the glow into subspace. That makes sense. And Scott's reaction, what? To who? <laughs> Which was, you know, pretty much my reaction. And the flashback to how Gideon and Ramona met. And how they left. Yeah. 
And he says the same thing as well, because she cuts her hair when she's just about to leave. Which they mention a mm. lot when the twins were saying she's letting her grow out awfully long. Gideon infected you with a secret weapon. Man, that guy sucks. <laughs> and then he figures it all out. So he jumps into the subspace suitcase. Capacity unknown. Yeah. And then things get... Because that's what he saw in the earlier volume. Yeah. Isn't it? Um, Gideon sat on that throne and Ramona chained to him Mm -hmm. in some kind of Fifty Shades of Grey type thing. And then he just turns into a monster. Because that's how all manga ends. Yeah. It's cool and doesn't... it, It really doesn't feel out of place. No. And you think it would be. And Scott gets cut in half. But he's still living. I think it's because a lot of it is played for it. It's not taking itself seriously. But then there's... I really like seeing Ramona's different appearances. Yeah, all the Ramona's different personas. Yeah. Where she kicks him out of her head. And then she accepts who she is. And uses Gideon's weapon against him. Well, he stabs the subspace suitcase. Yeah. Which causes it to explode. And the subspace is his creation. Which ejects them all back out into real life, doesn't it? Ramona earned the power of love. The power of love healed her wounds. Yes. And this could be ridiculously silly if it hadn't all been set up in the earlier volumes. Yeah. And it just plays out like a very strange video game. And then Scott relives all the heartbreaks he's witnessed. Or caused. Yeah. And then he, he, he sees everyone who supports him. Even Kim Pine, who isn't actually there. I understand you, Gideon, and now I have to kill you. Level up! Guns plus one, heart plus three, balls plus two. Scott earns the power of understanding. New t-shirt unlocked. Yep. <laughs> Envy's dress fell off, revealing a sexier dress. Charming priest. <laughs> I had a sort built into Envy's dress in case of emergency. That's just the kind of guy I am. Do you think he knew he was being cast when he did this one? Probably, because he looks like the actor. He does, doesn't he? And it's, it's probably not just a coincidence like Brandon Routh was. Yeah, Brandon Routh was definitely just a coincidence. Oh, Brandon Routh looked like the was character. Was good casting. Yeah. But, the, yeah, I did think that this is... Because Lucas Lee doesn't look like Chris Evans. Yeah. Although Chris Evans was spectacularly good. Hmm. But he doesn't look like him. Uh, yeah, I think the Brandon Routh thing was just good casting. Yeah, whereas this, because it came out at the same time... They presumably knew who they were going to cast. Hmm. But I do like that he doesn't change the actors. Although Murray Elizabeth Winstead does look like Ramona. Yeah. But a lot of that may be down to makeup. I, re- I I did like how Scott and Ramona defeat Gideon together. Mm. They're both defeating the... Who doesn't look anything like Michael Sarah? Yeah. Thankfully. They're both defeating the mutual enemy. And then they hug each other and Envy Scott says, and Envy get closure. I love Scott's face because he, he, wants, he wanted closure in volume three. And now he gets it. Get off my stage. <laughs> and then Envy sings her song. Yeah. So she gets her, her moment in the sun and... Where have you been all year, Rami? I like that they still call her Rami. Yeah. Even though she absolutely hates it. I was on a wilderness sabbatical. You see, Scott? Wilderness! <laughs> <laughs> and then the elevator scene's quite sweet. Yeah. Change is what we get. Like, nothing can change me as long as I change first. Oh. Which is the whole point of the story, isn't it? Yeah. But at some point and the ending here which is essentially the ending yeah everything else is just an epilogue I've never been very good at holding on you'll get it it just takes practice and Ramona's face though yeah is like the sweetest thing you have ever seen <laughs> so anyway 
This is where we learn Stephen Silsey's gay. Scott's brilliant here because he just freaks out. I, lo- I love the bit before it. Got any green beans? Word, bitches! And then he drops, <laughs> drops it on the floor. It all over the floor. It's like, oh well, they, they, they'll get a salad. Word, bitches! They they ordered dinner five minutes before we shot. That's what they get. Yeah, yeah. Which is funny. They hate your friends. So then the band, Shatterband... Which he wanted to call his band earlier. ...is just Kim and Scott. Yeah. I thought love was something, something fairy tales. Our two biggest fans hate us. <laughs> they have developed taste. <laughs> that was an extremely bad cover of I'm a Believer by the Monkees. Want to do it again? Let's do it again. We'll just keep playing to your cat. Which is nice. And then... Knives. You'll always be my classic demon head. And I love the way she says that like it's got some great <laughs> And then it gets undercut with whatever that means. And then this uh, this end bit, which also makes me tear up. Does it? Where they the both end? just step into the subspace highway. And they decide to try again and they literally fade out over a series and of it's pages. The end of the book, yeah. They disappear into zero hour. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Which is essentially what it is. It isn't is, it? yeah. Thank you and good night. Yes, he does. He's employed some people for the background. And a couple of different music choices. And that's the end. Six volumes. Scott Pilgrim's Finest Hour. Yeah. It was good, that. It was. I quite enjoyed that. Quite a different choice yeah. for what we normally do. But I, I don't like how the last volume, I, I did actually get the references the chapter titles were named after. Did you? Yeah. Um, one of them's called The Link to the Past, mm-hmm. named after the Zelda game Link to the Past. Oh, alright. And another one's called Music Sounds Better With You. Oh, music. I hate that song. Do, 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 I hate <laughs> that song. <laughs> Let's create a ten second thing and just loop it. Yeah. Did it, did it. Music sounds better with you. You know what's, did it, did it. You know what's closing us out? Shut up. <laughs> I'll be fast forwarding. But yeah. We can talk about the film as well a little bit. I can't remember much about the film. Do you That's know? why I wanted to watch I... it before we recorded this and you let me down. I didn't like it. I know you didn't From like what it. I remember, I didn't like it. Which is a shame. Because it, hev- it was heavily influenced by the opening chapters but cut out every single bit that was important towards the end. Because the end hadn't been written at that point. Well, it was. Volume 5 was out. Yeah, well, they cut out an awful lot of Volume 5, didn't they? Yeah, they did. Which is a shame. I, I remember liking the film in that way that I like Edgar Wright's movies. Yeah. I don't think it's his best. But as an adaptation of Scott Pilgrim... It's not. It's probably not. I don't remember it. I was just yeah. going to say it's probably not great, but that's really me talking out of turn because I don't really remember. I've only seen it in the cinema, haven't I? I've seen it on DVD, yeah. Well, we've got it on DVD, but I don't know if I ever watched it. But it's like the the... The, the series is about them all growing up and yet nothing changes. Yeah, the film doesn't... They don't seem to go through the same emotional arc in the film. Yeah. That they do Which in the you movies. could argue that it's because you can only tell so much in two hours. And yet, yeah, but you can still make it take place over a year. You can also still cut a bit more of the unimportant opening parts and have all the important ending parts. Hmm... A little less volume two and a little more volume four to five doesn't hurt. Yeah, may have gone a long way. Yeah. I, don't, I, don't, I would have rewatched it if we'd have had more time, but time is the fire in which we burn, as uh, Alchemy McDowell once said. That was nice, it was a nice change of path to mm. cover something like that. But like we've said before, isn't it? A, a comic book medium that is only superheroes is a poorer comic book medium. 
And I think, this is just jolly good fun. But I would never have read this without you. Yeah. But it, when you're sat reading it and chuckling away, because some of it is genuinely amusing. It is, yeah. And there's just, there is a certain amount of resonance for me who was like, I liked this stuff. Mm. Me and your mum went to dives in Manchester and listened to crappy alt-rock bands and you're doing it now. Yeah. So it works on uh, multiple generational levels. It's also a comic that can only be told in a comic format. Yeah. Which is why the movie might not work as much. That's possibly why the movie didn't work. The movie works in a way that only movies can work. There's more references and elements that can only work in the movie, but Scott Pilgrim itself is a comic that can only be told in comic form. And it's a comic that loves being a comic. Yeah. Because the things that it 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 does... You could probably do a little bit in animation, but it would be a long animation. Yeah. And probably not as satisfying. Which is probably why it was worth coming, because it is a fantastic comic book. You know, the film, you know, I remember it being alright, but it's it's a great series of books. If you were ever 20-something, it's probably worth checking out. Because it's absolutely brilliant. Mm-hmm. And we uh, we enjoyed it immensely. Did we not? We did. Next time on an all-new episode of Hey Kids Comics, Jeff Johns, John Romita Jr., <laughs> Superman, Ulysses. See you next week! <laughs> Bye-bye. Bye-bye. is a The Devil Will Find Work for Idle Hands to Do production. The music and sound clips used in the show are copyright their respective copyright holders and are used for review and illustrative purposes only, and no infringement is intended, so don't send your phalanx of highly paid lawyers after us, as we have no money. Certainly this show was not turned into a lucrative revenue stream, as no money is made from this either, which vexes us. The opinions of Michael and Andrew expressed in the show are the opinions of Michael and Andrew and no one else. They own them, cherish them, and look after them, but are probably not to be taken too seriously. New episodes drop every Thursday at twotruefreaks.com, and Hey Kids Comics is a part of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network, your one-stop shop for a plethora of truly fine shows. Join in the fun. We have a website where you can see the covers of the comics we've covered at www.heykidscomics.webspace.virginmedia.com and we can be emailed directly at heykidscomics at virginmedia.com. We can also be friended on Facebook by using Hey Kids, all one word as the first name, and Comics as the surname. We also have a forum, www.forumforgeeks.com. We do hope you enjoyed this episode of Hey Kids Comics. <laughs> <laughs>